This is Killstreak. Greetings, Halloween suck sacks and splash hogs. This is Killstreak, episode 83, I believe. Yeah, why not? Why not? Well, I feel like I'm loud. I, this, is, this is going to spiraling, guys. <laughs> anyway. We're teetering right on the edge of, do we restart the record? No, we're, keep going? We're, we're going ahead, you okay, know? Got it, got it. We're here to discuss... Rob Zombie's two Halloween movies. You're yeah. joining us here right towards the tail end of our coverage of the Halloween series. Sure, but it's just the middle of October. It is. Not even. We haven't even hit the halfway point yet. Uh, speaking of that, how's yeah. your uh, scary movie been watching been so far? <laughs> Has I haven't watched any of the scary movie franchise yet. So You watched... Uh, Prince of Darkness last night. That's no, not I true. was trying to do a, I had, oh. it's a scary movie, you know. <laughs> oh, scream Jesus parodies. Fuck. Okay. Sorry, I was so laser focused on my <laughs> question. In, on my like intense. fumbling. You of... see Eric's eyes right now. <laughs> uh, good. I watched Prince of Darkness last night. Um, what else? I've watched some other stuff. I forget. Oh, fucking shit. Man, I don't even know anymore. I'll say. For, oh, oh, your mic's gone. What happened? I'll say for my. Um, uh-huh. My I've been like curating my movies perfectly. Okay. Uh for to fit my mood and uh-huh. they've all been successes so far. Oh really? I've only watched three other than like the nineteen movies we've had to watch in the two <laughs> past yep. two weeks. Yeah, yeah. Um and it was uh, uh The Dark and the Wicked, I believe it's called. It's okay. it's the latest movie by the director of The Strangers. And I was in the mood for like a real deal indie horror movie that potentially could be scary or upsetting or sure. like a real movie yeah yeah and delivered i liked it okay i'm gonna give nice. brief i'm not gonna go into oh, yeah, depth, yeah, yeah. on these and then uh the following night i was like i want something silly so i picked uh elvira mistress of the i want to watch of that the mistress night of the dark yeah of the dark yep uh it is very fun it's like uh-huh. it's it's not a horror movie right? it's not it's a horror yeah. it's a comedy mm-hmm. but it's like you know elvira is a yeah. horror figure um it's not like gonna blow your socks off but it is very fun Mm. it's 90 percent of the jokes are just about how giant her boobs are (laughs) sure and they're pretty big right they're pretty big um she has a very small frame so Uh so they especially stick out and and it's also like at the end of the day about like the america's fear of female sexuality which i appreciate it i I mean it's not fun but it's like a good idea right um yeah, no, outside of Prince of Darkness last night, I've been a little bit lax on uh, horror movies besides, you know, the Halloween franchise, but I intend to really amp things up. Uh, I was texting you last night about the uh, AMC, the cable channel. Yeah. They do Fear Fest every Halloween. They've been at it for a long time, I think, and mm-hmm. I've always appreciated that about AMC, that they, like, take October and horror movies pretty seriously. Yeah. So mostly because it's where the last four Halloween movies have been available, I did sign up for AMC Plus. Oh, cool! And I can't say if it's like I don't know what the total overlap is with Shutter because Shutter is an AMC property. Yeah, I was gonna say they're owned by AMC, right? So there are Shutter things. There's like Shutter exclusive stuff that's on AMC Plus, and vice versa. Some of like the Fear Fest movies 
are also on Shutter, but I think there is it's like a Venn diagram. There's some overlap, but there's also a lot of stuff on AMC right now that um, is not on Shutter. And I think between those two streaming services, there's more uh, interesting and appealing horror movie selections than I could possibly get through in a year, let alone one, wow. one Halloween. But it's like, we're talking a, a lot of stuff. And the fun thing about AMC is Shutter's got some of the deeper cuts and like the more like if you're a real you know appreciator of fine horror cinema and but the amc is just like oh yeah we got all the big shit like anything you want it's right here, right you know oh that's cool um yeah i i uh resisted the temptation to activate a free trial on okay. amc plus for these last four movies only because i'm so bad at canceling free trials that i was uh-huh. like i would rather just pay the price of the rental which will <laughs> Because I will never once I subscribe. Like I have so, parent- I mean, at this point, you've paid for two months of AMC Plus. That is true. <laughs> so you, you would have had a way. week plus two months to cancel it. Yeah, that's a good point. Hmm. <laughs> Too late. Too late. Um, okay, before we go any further, because this isn't going to preclude us from continuing our conversation too much, but I have a surprise. Okay. Eric knows about this. He doesn't know what surprise. I don't know what is. it is. I mean, he can smell it. I, I can see the the shape of the yeah. It's a pizza box. Yeah. Yeah. And I know you had dinner already, so it's more for effect, but also I'd love you to, you know, you want to share a piece with me. Okay. So this is from a place that's in your Postmates delivery range. So I have a suspicion you know that of its existence because it must pop up on Postmates sometimes. Oh, I don't know. You don't. Okay. So I'm going to grab this. I'm going to see how long my cord goes here. I think I can do it. While he's doing that, I'll say I also watched The Mutilator on Shudder, which is a very fun, campy good gore horror movie okay. uh, slasher movie from so the why don't you describe to everybody what's happening uh so he's lowering a pizza box okay and oh we got slasher pizza i've seen i've heard tale of this okay amazing it's a really cool uh font for the for the box it's there's like a bloody cursive that spells out slasher pizza almost like a like a movie poster in a, the grim reaper pulling a slice of pizza <laughs> and it's a really appealing looking pizza that he's eating like a ninja turtle style yes pizza. gooey cheese so Ooh. Bust it out. whoa that looks great okay it does look like a pretty good quality pizza all right so what do you see on here i see hold on I can, I, and it's I like can some, uh, confirm. And red, uh, some peppers. Those are spicy Calabrian chilies. Got it. It's the classy kind, yeah. Uh, some sausage? That is actually roasted pork. Ooh. And then, what do you got? Um, there's a green, it looks like a, like a basil. It's not. Look a little closer. Oh, like broccolini. Or Similar. Bro- very bro- close to bro- broccoli. Broccoli rabe? Broccoli rob. Rob. Would you care to guess the name of this pizza, Eric? Pork, raw. I would, broc- I, I would focus mostly on that last ingredient. Oh, oh, oh! Geez, I, I'm block, broccoli rob. This is the Rob Zombie. Oh, oh, <laughs> hell yeah! <laughs> We're gonna dig through the ditches on this pizza. Let me get us some plates. Yeah, do it. All right. While Eric's doing that, um, yeah. So. Rob Zombie is 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 the man of the hour tonight, certainly, for better or worse. And we're gonna go down that road. We're gonna talk all about it. And now I have a plate for my pizza. Okay. This is this is the most. I mean, yeah, this is precarious. 
we have we have a, a reputation, or I should say, I have a reputation of knocking the cord loose on my microphone. And well, we got a new a new cord for you, so I think it's fine. It's true. I'm gonna take this ranch too, cause I'm a bad little boy. This thing's gonna fly right off his, I believe. Oh, there you go. It's all yours. So while I'm getting this, mm-hmm. what's your relationship with Rob Zombie as a director? As I mean, a I director, as, as a musician as well. Okay, cause I'd love to start there. As a musician, Rob Zombie is someone and maybe there is going to be some overlap with my opinion of him as a director he's someone that i've always found interesting that i've respected and that i've uh enjoyed in fits and spurts now i have seen most of rob zombie's feature films i have not listened to one of his albums from start to finish. Oh, really? Not even like the uh, Dragula that would no Hellbilly Deluxe. Or... Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the one I had. Yeah. So, I mean, <laughs> this makes me feel like a real poser. Um, but to be clear, this is an album that came out when I was in like eighth grade. Yeah. So this is what you did. I love truly profoundly. I loved the songs "Living Dead Girl" and "Dragula" mm-hmm. from that album. And I have not listened to any of the other songs on that album. I mean, they're the only ones I remember. I mm-hmm. have that album. I don't remember any other ones. Yeah. I, I even like some Rob Zo- some some White Zombie jams. Yeah. I so I remember getting into White Zombie when I think um you know, what's their 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 one biggest hit was More uh, Human Than More human. human Than Human was like on the Buzzbin yeah. on MTV and I had the Buzzbin album that that was on. Oh, cool. So I knew who White Zombie was, and I thought they were cool. I thought that video was cool. And, yeah, I just never did... I never dug any deeper. Yeah, so Rob Zombie was... Like, his music was always at the periphery of stuff that I liked. Uh, Because at the time, I was more into, like, punk. And, and, you know, know, I had a brief flirtation with, like, Limp Bizkit, that stuff, when that that Mm -hmm. first hit the scene. And that was exciting. Sure. And so he was always kind of there... And to piggyback on something you said, I I deeply respect Rob Zombie. Yeah. I really like, be it music or his movies, which I haven't, I was looking at his filmography today, and there's a lot, well, a couple I haven't seen. I haven't seen Lords of Salem. Okay. Or 31. Yeah, I haven't seen the last two. I haven't seen 31 or um, Three from Hell. Yeah, I haven't seen that one either. So really, I'm just talking about these two Halloween movies, one of which I hadn't seen mm-hmm. before in Devil's Rejects and House of a Thousand Corpses. Sure, yeah. I think he had a brief radio show mm-hmm. on um, the radio show wasn't brief. I think at the time he had it was brief. Yeah, on I think Indy one hundred and three, which was sure. a music station, it's a great here. station. Well, they had great shows. David Lynch used to do the weather, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, like Jonesy's jukebox, yeah. he's like the the mm-hmm. guitar player from the Sex Pistols yeah. had a show. That was a good show. Dickie Barrett had a show, um, and he had a show, and he just has great tastes. Yeah. He really does. He's like a Quentin Tarantino. I because he also briefly had a t- had a show. Um, I, I don't know. Maybe it was on like a, a NP, NPR or something like that. I don't remember. Mm. Um, and they both just have really great tastes in both movies and music. Yeah. And sometimes that translates to great movies. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it doesn't. Right. Um, I certainly think they both have their obsessions, which <laughs> get. Sort of like get, in the, get way. in the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Absolutely. Have you tried this pizza yet? No. Let's try a bite of the pizza. We're going in. We're gonna we're gonna eat a little bit of Rob Zombie. Oh, floppy end. 
That's good. You don't really get roasted pork on a pizza very often. No. This was an expensive pizza. I'm just going to say that up top. Okay. Quality ingredients, though. I can tell yeah, totally. it's a well-made pizza. The tomato sauce feels like they cracked open a can of San Marzano tomatoes and said, there you go. You know, did it the old, the old way. Mm. <laughs> People are going to love the chewing on air. Half of them will. <laughs> <laughs> Half of them are friggin' cranking off right now. That's pretty good. It's good pizza, yeah. I'm going to try it with a little dip, dipsy do a ranch here. LA's been getting some really good, interesting pizza lately. And it, it gets a lot of shit for not having good pizza. And yes, it doesn't have New York style. I mean, it actually does have New York mm-hmm. style pizza now. Yeah. House, you, sorry. You, House made ranch. Two thumbs up. Oh, I got to get a dip of that uh, once. Yeah. We'll stop down. And maybe. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's, there's been some cool pizza stuff happening lately. Uh, okay, so. Zombie. Rob Zombie. Actually, since you haven't eaten, do you want to take a break and you can eat? And, uh, Should we do back? that? Yeah. And we'll come back and we'll talk a little bit about Rob Zombie? Let's do that. All right. Okay, we're back. We stuffed our faces with Rob Zombie, who, uh, you know, the, the pizza has roast pork on it, and I pointed out, he's a vegan. Yeah, like a famous yeah. vegan. Like, he and, his, <laughs> he and his wife, Sherry Moon, who, anyone who watched these two movies will know. Man, um, what, a, what a wife guy. This The ultimate <laughs> wife guy. <laughs> well, this is the conundrum. This is like the... The the Rob Zombie is such an interesting guy because he is like he's like the, almost the platonic example of this of this idea of a person who like seems so shocking yeah. and so like you know he looks filthy most of the time yeah, he does and you know the images that he sort of traffics in in his movies and his music and. And, and all that stuff, and you're just like, this is the ultimate, like, scare somebody's parents away kind of guy. Yeah. And he's, like, incredibly well-spoken, clearly very intelligent. Yes, yeah. Um, like Pro- Probably a really nice guy, from yeah. what I've heard. Seems like a decent dude, you know, and again, who knows? We'll probably find out something terrible about everybody one day. But, but like, a loves his wife, yeah. is obsessed with his wife. <laughs> Runs, like, an animal rescue yeah. with his wife. Like, lives on a farm and doesn't eat meat. And, and yeah, he's just, like, I mean, he's clearly, like, a really thoughtful guy. Um, he makes some horrifying stuff, though. Yeah, he does. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about it. So, you know, we will. I mean, I don't think it's any spoiler to say mm-hmm. at some point. We're probably going to cover the uh, Firefly trilogy, as they yeah, call it. Yeah, now there's three of them. I don't see why we wouldn't. Um, so, I don't want to go too deeply into my feelings on those movies, uh, but I, you know, House of a Thousand Corpses came out when I was in college, when we were in college, mm-hmm. uh, and I really liked it. Yeah. I think I was kind of in the minority with my friend group, but mm-hmm. I was like, this is just fun. Like, yeah. it's fun and over the top. I saw it actually stylish. much later. I saw Devil's Rejects right around when it came out. Yeah. And then went back and watched House of a Thousand Corpses. And Devil's Rejects, I think, is the superior movie in my memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and he's just somebody I really like. I like that he's doing stuff, but I don't always like the stuff he's doing. Yeah. So, I just, I mean, the first thing I was thinking as I was heading over here to record this is it's like, between the amount of stuff that you could talk about and that I probably have to say about Rob Zombie and then these two movies that he made, like, we could do, I could do 
a you know weeks worth of episodes. I mean, which is funny because a week's worth of episodes is one episode yeah. for us. But it's like, <laughs> what I mean is like, I could record seven episodes about just Rob Zombie and these two movies. Because there's a lot that you could talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot to debate and discuss and all that. Um, <clears throat> but I do think that, you know, I that maybe the best way I can sum up how I felt about Rob Zombie for a long time, and I mostly still feel the same way, although time keeps on ticking and, and no one's getting any younger. But I used to say for a long time that he was someone who I felt was capable of making a truly great, great yes. horror movie. I was thinking that as I was watching the first Halloween, mm-hmm. this, his, uh, his right. Halloween, I was like, I kind of trust him. Right. But... The caveat, or sort of the implication in that sentence, is that he hasn't yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And mm-hmm. that's kind of how. And I think most people would probably, if you, if you're a fan of Rob Zombie, I think I think Devil's Rejects is is sort of considered his best movie. Yeah. And I do still think there are problems with that movie. And and you know, I again, I don't want to spoil the Firefly trilogy thoughts. I have too much either. But I will say that that's a movie that when I was younger, I had the full stomach for i guess sure yes and i tried to rewatch it fairly recently really because a friend of mine friend of the podcast mitch like i had recommended it to him as a good movie and he turned it off after like half an hour just like i can't watch this really to this is disgusting i'm curious Mm -hmm. because i also have been losing my stomach when it comes to like kind of specifically what he traffics in which is very sadistic yes violence and traumatic situations yes right it is not really fun like there's there isn't a lot of humor there is humor in his movies but there isn't that much in the violence like the way you would have in other movies where it's like oh what a crazy gory kill this is like you're meant to feel it well i i may as well say say something Mm -hmm. because it seems appropriate now that i was going to save for later yeah my wife fully put herself to sleep last night. <laughs> it was like, now nah, I'm out and fell asleep. Yeah. Watching Halloween too. Sure. <clears throat> because she, uh, she was like, the vi- this violence is just brutal. Right. And it's not fun. Right. Uh, and I was like, in my mind, I didn't say anything. I was mm. just like, yeah, whatever. You fucking-. No, I was kidding. <laughs> I'm just totally kidding. Uh, but I was thinking like, yeah, that's true. I can, you know, obviously, I think that's the point. Yeah. I'm curious to see how this mm-hmm. escalates or right. doesn't escalate. We'll get to that later. We but. will, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, do you, what do you, what were your thoughts on on Zombie the Director coming into this week's assignment? Um, so I had seen uh, the first the first his first Halloween movie, uh, and I remember it not favorably. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't like it when I first mm-hmm. saw it. Yeah, and the things I didn't like were the Rob Zombie-ish things sure. that he injected into. Right. I'm not going to say whether or not that stays. Mm-hmm. That stayed in this viewing, but um, excuse me. Um, I think when he when he's really hitting, he's great. Mm-hmm. I think he really has an eye for for. He knows how to use his cam- the camera. Mm-hmm. He knows how to stage a scene. Yeah. Uh, tension is always very high. Mm-hmm. The violence is always on point, but then he, he kind of sometimes he loses me in the performances and yeah, the yeah. script. Mm-hmm. It's really the script because the performances are usually pretty good. 
sometimes annoying. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of yeah, that was my feeling about him coming okay. to this. Where it's like he he's capable of great things, sure, but very isn't frequently great through the duration of an entire movie. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah that it's that really aligns with what I had always thought and sort of said, which is again that it's like you see what he is capable of and you say to yourself, you know, if he could pull off the balancing act for yeah. a whole runtime of an entire movie, he could really put together something incredible. Mm-hmm. But it's a lot of fighting his yes. own his own instincts at times. And I think uh again, we'll get to it. Yeah. I think the first Halloween is kind of one of the more interesting examples. Mm-hmm. Uh at least of the two mm. and of the two other movies I've seen of his of like, it's kind of like he, ha- you have to, how do I, how do I put this into words? It, depending on where he robs zombies it up mm-hmm. in the movie is like whether or not that, that movie hits fully for me or not. Sure. And yeah, we'll get to it. Okay. Sorry. We'll get there. Let's spin right into talking about the, uh, behind the scenes, and the pre-production for Halloween 2007, because I'm gonna have a lot of thoughts, and I think you know we 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 gotta get we gotta get to it. We mm-hmm. gotta get to the main course. Um, <clears throat> so this is something that we talked about in the past. Uh, in the timeline of the existence of the Halloween franchise, has finally happened, which is the tragic death of Mustafa Khad and his daughter. Yes, um, in a terrorist attack uh, in Jordan. That happened in 2005. This movie was uh, announced in 2006. So at this point, Malek Akkad, Mustafa Akkad's son, who I had previously said some like uh, tentatively positive things about, uh, <laughs> has kind of taken over full control uh, of the series, in essence. Now, it's still under the dimension shingle, right? And the Weinsteins are still producers yes. on these two movies. And that is bad <laughs> seems that way <laughs> but they've also made yeah 90 percent of the great movies right. from the 90s yeah. bad men particularly yeah. harvey weinstein and also their uh influence in their behavior just as producers is pretty questionable yes i mean i think it trickles down to like scott rudin mm-hmm. because that, that's the guy yeah. who's recently been yeah yeah um and like something that you will hear time and time again as i talk about these two movies is that Rob Zombie, who is certainly some not not unlike the progenitor of this series, uh, John Carpenter, a man who is not afraid to speak his mind. Mm. No, no fan or friend of the Weinsteins. Oh, cool. Oh, god. I was curious about that actually. He fucking hates them. Oh, good. And I mean, and but I'll say that you know, it's I don't know what his take is on their, um, you know, Harvey Weinstein's uh, crimes because he just fucking hates them as producers, right? Like, he despises them from working with them on these two movies. Okay. And he feels like they ruined, in different ways, both of the movies to a certain extent. Huh. Um, so, this one, the first one, comes together after those two films that we talked about. Rob Zombie's feature film debut, House of a Thousand Corpses, which has a really interesting origin story that we'll get to one day. So, I'm not going to spoil it all here. Um... But 
you look it up if you're curious. It, it's 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 a pro it's a project that literally started as a haunted house being made in association with Universal. Really? Yes. It's and also like he is unofficially kind of like the biggest creative influence behind the existence of Universal's like horror, the horror nights? Halloween horror, horror nights. Yes. What? Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit! That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, House of a Thousand Corpses was the first Horror Nights maze that ever existed. And it did it pre Okay, we're going to Yeah, whatever. Y- yes and it no. Predated when it predated the... it's 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 genesis, it's planning predated the production of the movie. But then the actual maze happened after, after the, the movie. movie. Yeah. Wow. Cuz they basically, yeah, to make the long story very short, he's working with Universal to do this maze and then he's like Hey, this is dope. Do you guys want me to make a movie out of this? And they were like, okay. Wow. And then, of course, like everything went to hell and they ran out of money and sure. all this. And it was on a shelf for two years. And it's a whole fucking mess. But anyways. So Zombie does House of a Thousand Corpses. It does pretty well. He gets to make the Devil's Rejects. Um, and that's enough to, to get him the clout, the cachet, to get tapped to do. He gets the offer to do the Halloween because they just Malik Akkad essentially decided he, he they were weighing all these crazy ideas, and it's like you can go to the Wikipedia page for every single installment starting with two, and there's like three different. They almost did this, and then they were gonna do this. Right, it's right. like you could write a fucking book about the Halloween movies they didn't make, um, and there were like nine of those for this. There were so many different things that they like fucked around with between like 2002 and 2006. But then finally, they kind of landed on like, hey, we want to do kind of the reboot remake. That's the thing that people are doing. That seems to yeah, be what's popular. At the time, that was, you know, we had the Friday 13th, Texas Chainsaw mm-hmm. Massacre. Uh, yeah, they did Nightmare on Elm Street eventually with yeah. uh, Jack Earl Haley. And I think there's a bunch more that were, I mean, they did all, they did so many like random 70s and 80s properties. Yeah, like a My Bloody Valentine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So Prom Night, didn't they do one of those? And, uh, oh, I don't know, actually. Yeah. Anyway. Carrie. Carrie. Yeah. So this was conceived in the same vein, um, and Zombie was a big fan of Halloween, and even though John Carpenter had sold his interest, like, he was a guy that Carpenter, that Zombie reached out to, and he's just like, oh, this is a hero of mine, I want to talk to him about it, and Carpenter was predictably surly, and <laughs> didn't tell him to fully fuck off, but was also like, I don't know, just make it your own thing, <laughs> you know, was essentially his thing. Like, yeah. Essentially, just like I don't know, leave me alone. Yeah. Do you want, do you have any? Do you have a check for me? If, if not, uh, pound sand, kid. Get a haircut. <laughs> I was just kidding. John Carpenter has, has long, long hair. hair. Yeah. Um, but anyways, yeah. He, you know, he essentially wanted. You know, he he was very clear that he didn't want to just rehash what had been happening with these sequels, and he also didn't want to do a direct remake. Of the original, because again, what's the point of that? Because Psycho is like sort of the prime example of yeah, like, the shot for shot remake, yeah, which you don't do. Um, and you know his approach to the whole thing was, as many people know, and and a lot of people disagree with, that he wanted to dive much deeper into Michael Myers' backstory mm-hmm. because he felt like the character, as being part of that kind of Mount Rushmore of horror franchise icons was too 
no, like too well known, not not frightening anymore. It was too familiar. It's like ah, Michael Myers and his mask with his big butcher knife, and he's like, yeah. no, I want to make Michael Myers scary again. And I think the way to do that is to like give him a story, and so that's how we get this movie in essence. Mm-hmm. Um, so just I, I kind of want to move things along, even though there's a lot to talk about, because again, he's a guy who put a lot of thought into this, mm-hmm. right? Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, he wrote this movie. He also wrote the sequel, mm-hmm. you know? So, and I'll just say right now, for better or worse, like, these are auteur films. Absolutely. Yes. Like, this is Rob Zombie making a Rob Zombie movie the way that no one else could make one. Yeah. Yep. Right? Yeah, and that that is something I, for better or worse, I appreciate about these two movies. Mm-hmm. They are not... Yeah. Like what? What kind of impact did the director of Halloween? I mean, people even like you know, like Halloween Four is a movie that people enjoy, but it's like, who is that director? Yeah. What impact did he exactly? Have, he right? he did nothing to move the needle on yeah. the rest of the series. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> in terms of production, uh, they shot in uh, essentially winter, and then I think late winter, early spring. Uh. 2006 into 2007 and then um uh back in pasadena for really uh, for the myers house location yeah was that the actual that wasn't the myers no house, it's a different house but it's in pass it's in south pasadena really which is a crazy wow a crazy thing um but also the you know the myers house which if you follow us on instagram you can see is it doesn't like it is the same house but it's next to a train track. Now. Yeah, yeah. It's in the middle of like a busy part of. The yeah, place. and it's in like a parking lot. Whatever was on either side of yeah. it is gone now, and so it's like you couldn't really. Sh- I mean, you could. You'd have to use CGI. Right, right. Like all around the house, but you wouldn't really be able to like get a good shot of the actual Myers house anymore. Right. Um, but yeah, shot in California. Um, God, should we talk about the cast? The cast is fucking out of control. Um, yeah, yeah, let's talk about the cast. Okay. Um, your main cast, the big hitters, you have Scout Taylor Compton, who's a not a, a working actor, but relative unknown. Mm-hmm. This was like her biggest role to date, uh, playing Laurie Strode. Malcolm McDowell, mm-hmm. filling the very big shoes of Donald Pleasance as Dr. Samuel Lewis. Mm-hmm. Loomis. Uh, Brad Dourif. Playing Sheriff Lee Brackett. Yep. And then uh, as Michael Myers, we have two actors because we have a 45 minute prologue. It is, I was kind of shocked when I looked at my watch. It's like 50 minutes before we meet Laurie Strode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For 45 minutes, we are in what is the first four or five minute scene in the original Halloween, which is. You know, Michael Myers as a 10-year-old boy killing his sister. And in this movie, more than just his sister. So that is uh, a 10-year-old actor by the name of Dag Ferch. Um, Dag Ferch. Dag Ferch. I'm going to guess that that is a Scandinavian. Very distinctive-looking kid. Yes, absolutely. Dag is now a SoundCloud rapper. Yeah. Um, not, not for me, but, you know, <laughs> he's an artist and he's, he's making his art and I respect that. And uh, and then as the adult Michael Myers, 
we have Tyler Maine. Now, was Tyler Maine someone that you were familiar with before I, the he was name, cast in this? The name was very familiar, and then I like looked at his nothing. Nothing really registered. Yeah, he has a very distinctive name. Um, his well, the reason I ask is because you are a wrestling fan. Uh huh. And he was uh, at least in the nineties. He was in the WCW in that. At a certain point, he left for the WWF, uh, and but I think that that span only went from about ninety three to ninety six. So he was not a big deal. Do you know what his name was in the WWF? WCW. He was a Big Sky. Now here's oh, the crazy sure. thing in the WWF, and this is what I don't understand. It says, um, "Oh yeah, so he was, yes, he was Kevin Nash's." Uh, oh, tag shit. team partner. Okay. Oh, WCW. Was he, was he fake Diesel? No. Okay. Or or no, wait. Vi- no, his partner Vinny Vegas was fake Di- No, Vinny Vegas is Kevin Nash, right? Uh, yes, no. Diesel. Yeah, anyways. Diesel I'm Kevin. not really a wrestling guy. I know a little bit. He was in a tag team with Kevin Nash in the WCW. Okay. And then Nash leaves WCW to go to the WWF to become Diesel. And then Maine... Oh, so Maine was never in WWF. That's why. He was WCW with Kevin Nash, and then Nash leaves. Got it. And then he became... And he kind of fizzles out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he was Big Sky at a certain point. Okay, I know the name. I'm not really... I was never that much of a yeah. WCW guy. Gotcha. So, anyways, that's why I was curious. His biggest role, I think, before this that anyone would know, is he plays Sabretooth... In the first X-Men movie. Yes, that's right. That's yeah. where I recognized him Right, from. But he's got a lot of makeup on. Yeah. And also, I mean, you don't even see his face in this movie. But, um, yeah, big man. Six foot nine. Huge. 300 pounds. Um, yeah. This is the... So this is a big switch. And this is something that we've talked about a lot is the Michael Myers and the size of the Michael Myers yeah. and all that stuff. And, you know, if you listen to our Friday the 13th, episodes or you follow that series you know that that jason Voorhees grows in size yeah. over the course and by the end he is he is of a similar stature just this like hulking monster i mean how big is kane hodder he's like six five or something isn't he um i, I actually think he's a little bit shorter than that okay but he's, but he's a big guy yeah. yeah he's like probably like my size um but skinnier. it's uh it's probably my size now. six six two. Oh wow yeah okay anyways this is the first, and really to date, these two movies are the only time we've had a, a Michael Myers of this size. Yeah. Right? And I think that's something we'll talk about very soon, as soon as we switch to reviewing the movie. So the last thing I wanted to do was talk about the general cast of this movie in kind of a lightning round. <laughs> um, because if you follow the career of Rob Zombie, one of the things that you realize, and it's, it, I think it's interesting you bring this comparison to quentin tarantino Mm -hmm. because they're both have really good taste and one of the ways that they both sort of demonstrate that taste is in casting yes and specifically casting notable people from the genre films that they love yes uh who maybe aren't you wouldn't see in like you you go watch something like the friday the 13th reboot and it's just a bunch of fucking wb teens yeah exactly right Uh, one of my notes from halloween 2 was Mm -hmm. this is michael myers just killing a series of character actors yeah (laughs) from like horror movies of the 70s and 80s basically yeah. yeah so this is my very brief rundown 
of who I felt the noteworthy cast members of the first Halloween were. So outside of the aforementioned names, I should also say pretty sizable role. Rob's wife, Sherry Moon Zombie, playing playing Deborah Myers, mother of Michael. Then we have uh, a couple of big time uh, zombie regulars. You got William Forsyth, Mm -hmm. uh, shitty stepdad. Uh, you also have showing up as cops Bill Mosley, mm-hmm. who we know and some of us love from Texas Chainsaw Massacre <laughs> too. Uh, Tom Towles, who um, has been in almost all of Zombies movies. Leslie Easterbrook, who took over from Karen Black as the mother Firefly in the Firefly trilogy. Okay. Um, you also have... Uh, let's see. I had these all written down, and then I didn't open it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it's like Ken Foray. Ken Foray playing Big uh, Grizzly Joe, I think. Big, or something yeah, like Grizzly that. Joe. Which yeah. I, I wrote in my notes. I want to see a Big Trouble in Little China with Grizzly movie Joe. with him. Yeah, it'd be amazing. That'd be fucking great. God, he's so fucking good in this. He's, he's really good. So funny. Um, Sid Haig, big time regular. Uh, horror movie uh, a guy we know from uh, Phantasm Ravager, Daniel Roebuck, mm-hmm. plays the owner of the strip club, Lou Martini, who gets a an upgrade in the size of his role in the second. In the movie. second one, um, Joe Grizzly. Sorry, Joe, Joe Grizzly, big Joe Grizzly. Yes, uh, Sybil Danning, Mickey Dolenz from the Monkees, yeah, sells uh, Loomis a gun. Uh, <laughs> then you have one of the Arquettes, Richmond Arquette. You have D. Wallace, formerly yes, D. Wallace, Wallace Stone, right? We all know from the eighties. Um, you have Daniel Harris returning yes. to play a different character, right? Uh, this time around, she's playing Annie, mm-hmm. um, one of the and 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 you know she actually survives this movie shockingly. But it's, uh, spoilers, who cares, right? Danny Trejo in a great small role. Yep. Clint Howard, Udo Kier, uh, Richard Lynch. It is, and, and 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 then there's also like just randomly, this guy uh, Tommy Doyle is played by this guy Skylar Gisondo, yeah, who, who is like a big uh, young actor. He, he's now. in um, the Clar- Santa Clarita Diet. Yeah, Santa Clarita which Diet. Which I really like. Yeah, he's in another show right now that I think is pretty popular. He's in like the Vacation movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, what what is he in right now? He's in. Um, Righteous Gemstones. Oh, yes. That's yeah, right. he plays Danny McBride's he's, son. He's great yeah. in that, too. He has, I think yeah. he has great taste. Yeah. I like both Santa Clarita Diet and right. Righteous Gemstones. All right. Anyways, so that's just a taste of your cast. And we're going to do this again for Halloween, too. Sure. Because there's a whole bunch more names we got to talk about when we get there. Did you read anything about the uh, murder that was inspired by this movie? I did not. Okay, so this is brief because uh, I don't know the details. I didn't prepare. But I, I heard about it on the Halloween Unmasked podcast. There was a kid, a teenage boy, who like sat and watched the movie in theaters okay. like two or three times in a row and then went home and murdered his family because Jesus. he wanted to see what it would feel like to do it and then immediately regretted it and called 911. Oh my god. And so it was like inspired by although you, know, you can always be like sure. A crazy not cra- mm-hmm. crazy's not the right wording. A person who's mentally unstable mm-hmm. doesn't need that much to in you know it, kick them over the edge mm-hmm. maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, it actually was like one of the there's another movie that was similar to this. Might have been another Halloween movie. Oh yeah, it was another Halloween movie. Hmm. Uh Halloween uh 2. 
Remember the Joe Bob thing? Where, oh, yeah, yeah. We yeah. talked about that. Yeah, yeah so right. he went in, um, and he's in jail now, wow. and is regretful that he killed his family, which sure. I don't blame him. It's a bad idea. Yeah. That's <laughs> fucked up, man. It's fucked up. Yeah. All right. Well, should we take another brief break? Let's do it. Tonight's brutal murders was described by police as Manson-like in its viciousness. Three people brutally murdered and a 10-year-old boy being held in custody. You haven't said a word for 15 years. This summer, Rob Zombie unleashes a unique vision of a legendary tale. Listen, be careful tonight. A lot of nutcases come out on Halloween. Is the boogeyman real? Why are you so obsessed with the boogeyman, Tommy? Halloween night, the boogeyman attacks kids who don't believe. Oh no, Tommy! Boogeyman's gonna get me! I'm gonna cut that mask right off your face. He's come back for his baby sister. To do what? On Halloween in Haddonfield, Illinois, already having exhibited signs of psychopathic tendencies, 10-year-old Michael Myers murders a school bully, his older sister Judith, her boyfriend Steve Haley, and his mother's abusive boyfriend Ronnie White. A lot being left out of this description already. Uh, Sorry, I muted my microphone to chew on pizza. (laughs) Yeah, I was going to say this is at the end of this sentence where half an hour, 40 minutes in into the, movie. the Yeah. He only spares his infant sister after one of the longest trials in the state's history. <laughs> Funny detail to zero in on for this Wikipedia entry. Michael is found guilty of first degree murder and, sp- and sent to Smith's Grove Sanitarium under the care of child psychologist, Dr. Samuel Loomis. Michael initially cooperates with Loomis and his mother, Deborah visits him regularly. Over the following year, Michael becomes disassociative, fixing on paper mache, fixating on paper mache masks, and withdraws from the people around him, even his mother. When Michael kills a nurse as Deborah is leaving from one of her visits, she is unable to handle the situation and commits suicide. For the next 15 years, Michael continues making his masks and not speaking to people. Loomis, having continued to treat Michael over the years, attempts to move forward with his life and closes Michael's case. Later, Michael escapes from Smith's Grove, killing the guards and hospital staff in the process. He then kills a truck driver for his clothes and makes his way back to Haddonfield. 
Over Halloween, Michael arrives at his now-abandoned childhood home, where he recovers the kitchen knife and Halloween mask he stored under the floorboards the night he killed his sister. Laurie Strode, her fr- Laurie Strode and her friends Annie Brackett and Linda Vanderklok prepare for Halloween. Throughout the day, Laurie witnesses Michael watching from a distance. Later that night, Linda meets up with her boyfriend Bob Sims at Michael's abandoned home. Michael appears, murders them, then heads to the Strode home while Laurie is babysitting Tommy Doyle, where she where he murders her parents, Mason and Cynthia. Dr. Loomis, having been alerted of Michael's escape, arrives in Haddonfield looking for Michael. After obtaining a handgun, Loomis attempts to warn Sheriff Lee Brackett that Michael has returned to Haddonfield. Loomis and Brackett head to the Strode home with Brackett explaining along the way that Lori is really Michael's baby sister, having been adopted by the Strodes following their mother's suicide. After convincing Lori to babysit Lindsay Wallace while spending time with her boyfriend Paul, Annie is attacked by Michael uh, after he kills Paul at the Wallace residence. Bringing Bringing Lindsay home, Lori finds Annie badly injured on the floor but still alive and calls for help. Michael attacks Lori and chases her back to the Doyle residence. Loomis and Brackett hear the call over the radio and head towards the the Wallace residence. This might go down in history of Killstreak as one of my worst recap reads ever. <laughs> You're doing just fine. Michael kidnaps Lori and takes her back to their home. He tries to show Lori that she is his sister, pretending presenting a picture of them with their mother. This is your worst. No, <laughs> it's not. Unable to understand, Lori stabs Michael before escaping the house. Michael chases after her, but Loomis arrives and shoots him three times. Recovering, Michael recaptures Lori and heads back to the house. Loomis intervenes, but Michael subdues him. Lori takes the gun and runs upstairs, but Michael corners her on the balcony and charges her head on, knocking both of them over the railing. Laurie awakens on top of an unconscious Michael. Laurie aims the gun at Michael and Michael's hand, with Michael's hand grabbing her wrist just as the gun is fired. <clears throat> okay, so a lot of stuff left out of that recap. Yeah, I mean, no. we're not here to judge the quality of recaps, I, but I, certainly I feel comfortable we do. doing it. It, yeah. was, it was bad. It's uh, a bad recap. Yeah, it's it's tonally lacking. It, exactly. Yeah. There's a lot. The facts are there, but a lot of the color is not, mm-hmm. which I think is where yeah. this movie sings. Am I super hot? I feel like the room tone on my on my end is just crazy. Yeah. Well, I've been noticing that we're both. I thought you meant like physically hot. Uh, well, I'd like you to answer both questions. Yes, you are a very attractive man. Thank I think you. for some reason both of the mics are hot, and okay. I'm not sure exactly why but all right well if this episode sounds terrible we're sorry but we're not audio i think guys. once once we yeah. bounce it it'll even sure, out sure sure okay i never really noticed the the fan sound as much as i think i will okay great so anyways we're talking about this shitty recap yeah the shitty <laughs> recap yeah so we're missing really like the first 40 minutes of the movie which is like this slow build mm-hmm. with michael and his like shitty fucking family uh, horny sister. Everybody's horny and angry and swearing yeah. a bunch. Um, and this is, you know, I would I would argue that this 45, 50 minute prologue, if you will, this is mostly the thing that when people talk about hating this movie, yeah, this is like what makes them angry, right? That right. It's like, it's all this backstory. And I will say that I'm, I have said similar things here in this chair. Yeah. 
earlier in this series talking I have about thought similar things yeah, as well about how it's like yeah it's a bad idea rob zombie made a bad decision to thoroughly paint this backstory of Michael yes Myers. i have also had said similar things and i would love to know eric how do you feel now after you've watched i guess both of these movies but how did you feel after you after you finished watching this movie brother yeah i've changed my tune really i was shocked uh-huh. how much i liked this movie yeah i really liked it um let me say though i think it starts awful okay uh, I think the first five or ten minutes, I was like, oh, fuck, here we go. It's this, this white trash obsessed <laughs> right. stuff that he always does. Mm-hmm. Everybody's swearing to the point of like, it's like, it just sounds like a 13-year-old who just learned what swears are. Right. Everybody's horny. The fucking stepdad's like, she's got a nice ass to like right. the daughter. Mm-hmm. The daughter's taking her top off and fucking her yeah. weird looking boyfriend. Mm-hmm. But then once they were murdered, and we were in the in the hospital, uh-huh. yeah, I, I really started to like it. Mm-hmm. I'm cu- very curious about what you think about this movie. I mean, I feel like, <laughs> it, it, you know, it might make for bad podcasting, but man, do we we go the same way? So do we? Often. Okay, I, I was it's I was just... scared because we met for disc golf the yeah. other day, and you yeah. made a comment. I was like, oh shit, I think I didn't like mm-hmm. it. No, I just didn't want to talk about it. Yes, yeah. I just didn't want to blow anything ahead of time. Because I came here prepared. I had like a whole statement Yeah. that if you were going to be Me like, too. this movie fucking sucks, I was going to be like, I realized that I needed to come here today and defend the Rob Zombie Halloween Dude, movies. I thought the same fucking thing. <laughs> I was like, oh, he's going to hate it, and I'm going to be at the defense the, on the defense <laughs> of the entire time, be like, no, I think this is good. Yeah. I mean... I think you're spot on. I think the thing that works the least is Rob Zombie's like hillbilly white trash sort of fetish. Yeah. Which I don't know. I mean, from what I can tell, it doesn't really even sound like that's how he grew up. Dude's from Haverhill, Massachusetts. Yeah. He went to art school. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, he's like fucking from the yeah. same part of the country I'm from. Yeah. Now, I don't know what, you know, his whole personal background is but it does seem like it's almost a and the thing is he's porting it directly over from the firefly movies yeah right? yeah where it makes a lot more sense because those movies are and really i will say this like there is a dissonance i think that happens when you take a guy like rob zombie and have him take over a property like this because the halloween movies i think at their root you know, I mean, so much of it is 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 owes, owed to John Carpenter and what what he brings to a movie, and uh, and Deborah Hill to to that point too. But the thing is, it's like it's about suburban mundanity, yeah. Like being, you know, it's almost this like l- proto Lynch Lynch thing of like how fucked up is like the like just the regular world, like right, right, and like how scary can just like a pretty neighborhood be in fall and all this idyllic shit getting like disrupted. And what zombie brings is he's so clearly informed by Texas Chainsaw Massacre Mm -hmm. 
and I would say probably like Wes Craven's output of the 70s. Right. Like the right. Hills Have Eyes. Hills Have Eyes, Last House on the Left. It's like he loves this trashy horror aesthetic. Yeah. Which is very cool. And it like is a perfect fit for the Firefly trilogy, which is essentially like a loose remake. I mean, House of a Thousand Corpses is almost a loose Texas Chainsaw. Texas Chainsaw. Yeah, exactly. Right? This is not that, but he's just such a good filmmaker with some bad instincts that get in his way but it's like he can't help but make exciting interesting movies yeah i don't know that he's even a good fit for halloween but he just kind of like you know fucking uh plows ahead and does it anyway he makes it his own and be um because he spends so much time on michael's backstory that like once we get to laurie strode right in the killings like it's almost benefiting the movie that it's a remake mm-hmm. because we know what happens in the first right. movie, so he can speed through that stuff. Yeah, uh, in a way that like does like it does start to move a little fast, and I think like mm-hmm. that kind of transition from the from the old to the new, right, um, is a little awkward. But then I think it hits a stride eventually. Uh, I even don't mind the sister stuff. I think it works in this movie, in the context well, of this movie. gives it a... Like, he, he at least pays it respect. It's like, okay, if this is the choice that's getting made, I'm going to see what I can wring out of that. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and it makes more sense in this one than it does in Halloween 2. Right. Because, like, oh, yeah, that would make sense that he spared his baby sister, and now his baby sister is somewhere out there, mm-hmm. and he's finding her. That makes, yeah. it, get, it makes perfect sense. Right. And so... I think it's important to note that one of the Weinstein interference things that he kind of dances around, but I think comes out and says at some point, is that he really didn't want to do even as much adhering to the original movie as he did in this movie. Oh, okay. And I think most of that is felt in the the second half of the movie. Mm-hmm. Like he kind of got to do his own thing more or less in the first, in the first 45 minutes. Yeah. Right? Cause he's almost whole cloth, like telling a new story. Yeah. Right. Now, once he has to bring in Laurie Strode and her two friends and go through this Halloween night killing, that's when it, it does. I think at points start to feel kind of perfunctory. Like he's going through the motions a mm-hmm. little bit, but I think he kind of pulls it back together at the end because again, he gets to kind of, you know, skew from the path that's been established and kind of paint his own picture again. Um, I want to talk about a couple of things that yeah. I was like really, that I really liked. Mm-hmm. Um, one is the mother son relationship between Michael and his mom uh-huh. actually like moved me. Yeah. I wasn't like crying, right. but I was like, wow, actually Sherry moon zombie is doing a good job here. Yeah. I feel like she cares about this kid yeah, once you get her out of that house and yes. into the hospital, exactly, she gives a completely different performance. Yep. Yeah, um, and also Malcolm McDowell as Loomis, I yeah. thought did a great job mm-hmm. in this first movie. Yeah, and he's the thing. <laughs> well, I'm curious what you would think if you would watch the director's cut of Halloween Two, which I, I am curious, which I did, and we'll get there. He is the thing that most people who hate this movie like glom onto as like the Malcolm McDowell's good. You know, mm-hmm. I hate this movie. He's good. He's a good, and it, I mean, it truly is like, I mean, it's arguably 
and I like Donald Pleasance a lot, but if you just talk about like the scope of someone's career and like their skill as an actor, it's like arguably an upgrade from Donald Pleasance for sure. This is, you know, Alex DeLarge. This is like fucking Malcolm McDowell. He's like a big deal. Yeah. And he's good. He's very good. Um, if we're talking about performances that we liked, I I mean, we're talking about Halloween. I fucking love Tyler Maine as Michael Myers. Yeah, okay. I'm, I was curious because you've been a vocal like, yeah, he's good. He's really good. And the thing is, is it's like, it feels at first kind of cheap that he's so huge. But like the guy really uses his physicality. In an incre- he's fucking scary. He's I was about to say he's scary. Yeah, like Rob Zombie absolutely succeeded in what he set out to do, which is like he made Michael Myers scarier than he's been since the first movie. Yeah, so like with the varying Michael Myers, especially like a Dick Warlock Michael Myers, mm-hmm. you get the feeling that like oh if that guy was coming after me, I could do something. <laughs> but if fucking this six nine Michael yeah. Myers is coming at me, mm-hmm. I can't do shit. He's going to rip my fucking head off. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, he, he establishes it so quickly and he's just so, I mean, he's so brutally violent. Yeah. And it's in this way where it's like he, I feel like he really puts a point on this version of Michael Myers that it's like he doesn't really even seem to enjoy the killing. No. Like you get some of that in the first movie. It's like, especially when he like stabs the the guy up against the boyfriend gets stabbed against the wall and he's sort of looking at him. And it's like, there is like this, there's more of a compulsion to kill. I feel like from, from Carpenter's Myers where this one is just like, it's so matter of fact, it's mm-hmm. just like, this is what I do. And it's not like he's drawn to killing. It's just like, you know, it, it's almost the way that you would like kill mosquitoes or ants right like it's thoughtless mm-hmm. like he just fucking murders people because they're there yeah because they're there exactly yeah. like he just comes across them he's like well yeah i murdered this guy yeah um his mask i like the mask stuff too like yeah. it makes sense mm-hmm. he really like zombie goes out of his way to make things make sense mm-hmm. um the so- mask on dag Ferch, like is fucking scary it's scary yeah like a ten year old walking around with that mask that's too big for his head is like, oh, this is really in that like creepy. pumpkin that pumpkin mask that he ends mm-hmm. up making, like that jack o' lantern mask. Yeah, he makes when that he's he wears adult. in the hospital. Yeah. yeah, that's scary. Yeah, Danny Trejo is great in the movie. He's great. That's such. It's like a heartbreaking. Scene it really almost. is like Mikey. Yeah. I was good to you. Like yeah. that was. I was. I couldn't remember if he spared him or not. Like that, and I was like again. Yeah heartbroken although the first time like i said i didn't like this movie and i don't know why i don't know why i wasn't ready for it i'll say this so there are i mean there are things to not like here sure for sure we talked about sort of like the shrill redneck white trash stuff which is like tough to get through yes the other thing is is like there are times when i think rob zombie there's like this needle of violence from like fully cartoonish to like snuff, basically. Uh-huh. Like faces of death shit, right? Where it's like, oh yeah, that's just a person getting their head chopped off, right? In real life. And, you know, somewhere over on, on the hot red part, before you get to real people dying, you know, you start to get to things like, 
Eli Roth's like yeah. hostile series and things where there's just like you're taking a lot of someone seems to be taking a lot of pleasure in just like sadistically torturing and murdering people and frequently women. Mm-hmm. And I do think that zombie that needle gets too close sometimes. Yeah. yeah. You know. And and some and and and, and I'll, he shoots certain things that make me go, okay, okay, now hold on. I'd like to know what his intention was before I pass judgment. But I will say that like a scene like Daniel Harris's not murder, mm-hmm. where it's like I understand her being topless because she's fooling around with her boyfriend, and it's fun. It's nice to see. I enjoyed it. I was like, yeah, great, good stuff, happy. I was weirded out by it. Really? Oh, because yeah. she was a yeah, because she's a child. In, because in the in, last three movies two, you saw, her in, like two, two weeks movies, ago, yeah. she was a child. Yeah, yeah. So it was weird for me to be like, oh, there's that cute child yeah. grown up. You, oh no. <laughs> you know what made it less weird for me? That we skipped over seeing her in one of these movies as like a 19 year old. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. Because like, she's like fully 30 in this movie. Yeah, she's like our age. She's like yeah. a little bit older than us. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like, it didn't feel as creepy because it's like, yes, I know she was a child uh, like in the other movies, but at least it's like, this is like a 30 year old woman taking her top off. Yes. Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. some 18 year old who got yeah, off the bus. She's beautiful too. Yeah, absolutely. But what I was going to say is, then she. I. <laughs> And she continues to be topless in a chase scene, yeah. in a stabbing scene for like five minutes. And I'm just like, I guess. I mean, yeah, if he came in right at that moment, you run for your life. It's like you don't stop to put your shirt on. But then I'm also like, is that why Zombie did it? Because if that was his whole call, I'm like, okay, I get. I guess I get that. That's interesting. But if it's just like, well, no, we can have a topless girl with covered in blood writhing around. I'm like, I mean, I think you know, it's maybe more the latter because that just yeah. seems very his aesthetic, right? And that's the kind of thing where it's like, if that bugs you, and that's a reason why you don't like this movie, I can't argue with that. Sure, he's he is. I, I think he's a sadistic guy. Like, I'm not saying that that means he does anything wrong, right, to people in life, but it's like. You watch his movies, and it is almost impossible to imagine that this isn't someone who is deriving some kind of enjoyment or pleasure from seeing people suffer. Or at least making the audience suffer. Like, there's a sadistic pleasure to making the audience squirm. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, and he does it in ways besides just the violence and i'm curious if if did you find anything else about watching this movie unpleasant aside from gore uh i mean there's like the detuned halloween theme that gets sure. played throughout that is like unsettling yeah um the, uh i don't know what you i mean what do you think what are you, i, what are you I feel of? like and and again this is a thing where you know your mileage is going to vary a lot based on your viewing conditions mm-hmm the sound design is punishing. Oh, like, sure. Like, there are just so many, like, shocking loud noises. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And not of, like, the jump scare variety, of just, like, you're in a scene... Like, it's the kind of thing where 
the sound design of this movie, it's like you could not watch it if someone else was, you know, trying yeah, to do I, something I, in the other room. I watched room. it down here and had yeah. to turn it down because my door was open. I was like, yeah. oh, it's probably very loud for my neighbors. Right. <laughs> and there's just so much screaming and yeah. banging yeah. and crashing. And I forget which scene it was that I wrote it down in, but I literally, I just wrote down, this sound design is punishing. Like it is. And, and I remember seeing this in the theater and just feeling beat up after yeah. I got out. I mean, it makes sense. It yeah. is. And I that's kind of what I appreciate about it. Yeah. Is that it's a it's a real ex, it's experience to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, let me... There was something... Oh, yeah. I think we didn't mention Brad Dorf. Brad Dorf is great in this. Brad too. Dorf is great. He's equally great in at least the director's cut of Halloween, too. Yeah, I think he's good in two. Um, well. yeah. But yeah, he's... I mean... <laughs> Yeah, he's he's really, I mean, the guy's like a really legitimate actor. It's like the thing that's funny about Brad Dourif, because he is, for all intents and purposes, he's Chucky. And so he's probably in the top five of, like, horror movie guys. Icon, yeah. Right. And really only it's just him and Robert England, and to a certain degree, Doug Bradley, although Pinhead is, I think, a less beloved character. Mm-hmm. Not in my book, but. Sure. Hey, we got a new pinhead. In some people's, yeah. A lady pinhead. Yeah. Which which is cool because then the lady Cenobite gets a name, presumably, besides Lady Cenobite. <laughs> yeah. Um, or female. I don't remember which one it was. But anyway, my point was that, like, Dourif is, like, a horror icon, but he's a legitimate actor. He's a very talented actor. And, like, yeah, I think Academy of, Award. Yeah. Either nominated or winning. I can't remember. Yeah. And I think people just forget that because he's also Chucky. He's Chucky. Yeah. Um, all of the roles, I thought, felt very lived in. Yeah. Even, like, especially towards the end of the movie where mm-hmm. we meet people very quickly. Right. The world just feels like it's real. It feels yeah. real. It feels grounded. Well, the thing is, when he's not doing the, like, 20 fucks a minute a per yeah. page of dialogue, people screaming at each other thing, he does a good job of writing people, like dicking around you know specifically mm-hmm. like i'm thinking about like all the emts like or the cops hanging out before they're gonna go transport michael myers which yeah is, yeah which is basically the firefly family it's like a little nod of a scene yeah because it is i think bill mosley sid Haig, and leslie easterbrook um and so obviously there's a reason that those three have like a lived-in chemistry but it's also like yeah that like we just get like a minute and a half of the three of them bullshitting and it's fun, and it's like, and yeah, it feels it feels sort of authentic. Um, another thing that I wrote down that I never realized because I had not watched three of these movies prior, and I certainly hadn't watched them all in a row, is one of the things that I think he's doing here that is interesting is the way that he does incorporate the mythology and sort of nods to the franchise as it came before him. Is this isn't just like oh I'm I'm remaking Halloween, he kind of remakes Halloween through the sphere through the prism of the whole franchise. Sure, up to yeah, this point. he's like incorporating parts of two, right? And 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 like Daniel Harris coming back, yeah. and it's like and a lot of the stuff of like like Michael and Laurie in the attic at the end feels very much like five and like the, mm-hmm. and, and the Jamie Lloyd stuff. And mm-hmm. so it's like, yeah, he's really kind of synthesizing the whole trilogy or not trilogy. Jesus. The whole I wish. franchise. <laughs> hey, I'm not really getting sick of these movies. No, I'm not either. I'm just yeah. joking. Um, into one thing, which I thought was interesting. 
Um, man, I'm actually kind of shocked that we're just like in complete agreement on this. Yeah. I'm looking over my notes. I don't have much else that okay. uh, I wanted to get wanted to cover. I loved that he uses the original score throughout mm. mu- much of the movie. Yeah. Um, and uh, oh, I kind of lost. Yeah, it's a new version of the original score. Yeah, so it's but Tyler it's... Bates. But yeah, it's... yeah. But yeah. it is like the original co- Carpenter composition. Um, I just think he's a good. He's a, uh, like I said, I kind of trust him as a filmmaker, yeah. even though I don't always trust him as a writer. If right. that makes sense, I think that makes a lot of sense. Well, you mentioned the camera, like camera stuff. Like it's he's he's very good at staging scenes. He has a very distinctive look. I don't know exactly what you would call it. It's almost like the kind of documentary style that you would see in something like The Office or Friday Night Lights, but port it over to horror where it's like you get a lot of these shots that are like handheld that are like halfway behind something. Yeah, sort of like a cinema verite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And But it's like not POV. It's not Michael Myers. It's just like that's the shot. Like yeah. that's just how they set up the shot. And, and you know, Mike, Michael Myers is just as likely to walk through the shot as he is to... You know, it's not his POV, but it has this voyeuristic feel to it. Mm. And again, like a sort of verite kind of feeling as well. I think he, I think the lighting setups are great. I think he does a lot of this like very harsh, like top light. Yes. So you get like almost like these, you know, like light just spilling over people's hair and their shoulders and stuff. Yeah. And it feels very like. Everything feels like it's someone's getting tortured in a basement. <laughs> yeah, it does. It's like the swinging light, and yeah, yeah. Um, and it carries over into the next movie too. Although yeah. this one must have been shot on thirty-five millimeter. This was yes. Yeah, but the next one was sixteen. Sixteen, yeah, which is crazy. Uh, we'll get there, but yeah. To one more thing, I want to touch on, which I think could segue us all to we'll end up talking about in Halloween too. I don't think this recap did any justice to the actual ending of the movie. No. So that sequence. Where they go out the window. I mean, all of the ending, there's a whole false ending, right? He's like chasing through the house. He's like cuts, he cuts her through the cuts through the ceiling to get mm-hmm. her. She falls yeah. down. Yeah, yeah. And then like Loomis shows up, and they shoot him, and she takes he takes her out to the cop car, and yes. then it's like it's this is one of the things that is kind of like it's not funny, funny, but I think it's deliberately sort of like breathless. In that it's like they there's like a little swell of music and there's maybe just like twenty seconds of downtime. Yep. He's getting her into the cop car and then he just and then all of a sudden Michael's back and he just smashes the window. And right at that time yeah. when you have that lull in the cop right. car, I checked how much time was left. Uh-huh. It's like, oh, there's twenty minutes left in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and it's great because Malcolm McDowell, I forget what his line is, but it's literally the thing. Um that went through my head at the time, but it's like Michael smashes the window and Loomis screams like, what the fuck? Or like, (laughs) it's like, or like, what the hell? Like, I don't remember what he says exactly, but it is pretty much just like an exclamation of shock. Yeah. yeah. And then immediately starts just screaming like, Michael, no, (laughs) no. (laughs) And she just, he just drags her by her hair back into the house. And it's like, that was really entertaining. But then, the ending, mm-hmm. the very final shots, they worked really well for me. It's so powerful. Yeah. It's just like she's been through so much. 
and she's basically like on top of him. He's he's unconscious. She pulls the trigger once. It's a revolver. Pulls the trigger once. Dry fire. Pulls the trigger yeah. twice. Nothing. And then he what? Kind of wakes up, grabs her wrist. Yes. Yep. And then she's just screaming at the top of her lungs, and she shoots him in the face. And then like blood splatters on her face, yeah. and she's screaming, just screaming, screaming, screaming. And then it's cuts. To cuts. Credits, yeah, right? cuts to credits. Like It's really powerful. Yeah. And. It also, it's funny because he had no intention and, and early on no desire and no attachment to making a sequel to this movie. He wanted it to be over. Just like the original it one. never works. And so this clearly takes one big step, I think, in the direction of where he, like he was, I think he kind of comes away. It's like, okay, if I'm going to come back and do a sequel, then like that that final note of the last shot of this movie is the whole direction of the next one. Like mm-hmm. that's where it's going to go now. Well, let's, uh, let's do our superlatives on this movie okay. and then we can t- start talking about part two. All right. Uh, for a body counts, a lot of people killed body. Maybe that would be better than, uh, the, uh, I should do that sound drop. Yeah. We can do all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Okay. We get Wesley Rhodes, the bully beat to death. Ronnie White gets his throat slit. That's the uh, shitty husband. Steve Healy gets beaten to death with an aluminum baseball bat by young Michael. That's pretty gruesome. Judith Myers stabs 17 times. Nurse Wynn gets her uh, stabbed in the throat with a fork. Deborah Myers herself blows her own brains out. Smith's Grove security guards. You got one, two, three, four of them. One is beaten. One gets his head bashed open. One shot. Uh, one's get one. Another one gets her throat ripped out. Nurse Gloria gets her throat ripped out. Uh, nameless Smith Grove security guard number one <laughs> gutted off screen. Um, another gutted off screen. Jeez, so many fucking deaths. Yeah. Uh, Denny Trejo's character Ismail, is Ismail? Yeah, I guess yeah. that's how you say it. Partially drowned and then his head crushed by a TV. Joe Grizzly stabbed in the stomach by his own knife. Bob Sims stabbed through the chest with a kitchen knife. Linda choked to death. Mason Strode slashed multiple times with kitchen knives. Cynthia Strode, neck broken. Paul Friedman stabbed in the chest. Officer Lowry stabbed in the back. And Deputy Charles stabbed with kitchen knife. And then I guess, uh, I mean, you can count Michael in, the, in this. Yeah, and also we should say that the movie sort of, makes you think that he's killed Loomis as well. Right. By like gouging his eyes out with his thumbs. Yeah. Just just completely undone in the next yeah, completely. Yeah. Uh what was your favorite death? Um Okay. This is like the opposite of the problem I've had for the last few movies because it's always like, I don't know, there's a lot of gruesome, gruesome there is, deaths yeah. in this movie. Um but I think for establishing I mean, not that the opening hospital stuff didn't make Michael Myers seem intimidating enough, but I think the scene that I remembered almost the most vividly from this entire movie and watching it again, I get so much enjoyment from, and it is so violent, but really just because of the physicality and not even the gore itself, I have to go with Big Joe Grizzly in the Yeah, in it's the great, bathroom. right? Just smash the way, the speed and force, which with he, which with with which he smashes him into that toilet stall. Yeah. It's just like, it's shocking. It is shocking to watch, and it feels so visceral. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think that's got to be my pick. I think for me, it's an upsetting death. It's a heartbreaking okay. death. And it's Danny Trejo's character sure. getting drowned. Yeah. It's not the most like visually stunning one. Mm-hmm. Although I do like every time Those he under- gets his head dunked yeah. more, the more blood comes out of yeah, his mouth. Yeah, the underwater shots are cool. And yeah. it's really sad. It's yeah. made me really bummed out. Yeah. Uh, so there you have it. Uh, moments that didn't age well. I mean... Take your pick. These, these are <laughs> foul mouth, fucking disgusting characters. Yeah. So partially. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, it's one of those things where it's like intention has to count. So almost everything gross that happens is like you're supposed to think that person is gross and, yeah. and a bad person. Um, yeah, I mean, overall... I don't really have much. I did write down... I can't remember. Maybe this will jog your memory. Mm. Somebody says, like, the R word. Short yeah, bus. I think it's all... It's like the girls talking, yes, right? Yes, you're right. Yeah. Yes, the girls... Yes, that is right. I was gonna write that down and I forgot. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the first scene of the three of them all hanging like, out. Yep, yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah that was mine. But it's also, like, that's kind of, like, low-hanging fruit for this segment. Sure, but it's nice when you just got a slam dunk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, on the John Carpenter fear meter, uh-huh. I think for me, this one's pretty high. I agree. Michael's yeah. scary. It's yeah. full of dread. Absolutely. What did we give the first one? We gave it a, a, nine, a nine, I think, yeah. I mean, it's either a seven or an eight, I think. I was going to go eight. Okay. So, I mean... Is it scarier? I mean, no, sorry. Is the first movie that much scarier? I think that the unknown of the first movie sure. is a little more scary than the known of this movie. Sure, okay, yeah. Like, this movie's grislier and darker, but it's like, you know, like, it's just like, there's less mystery to it, and I think that's where so much fear comes from, right? Yeah. I'd say, you want to say eight? Yeah, or seven, five. Seven, five. Let's do seven, seven five. Okay, cool. And finally, Mary, fuck, kill. Mike, why don't you kick us off? Sure. Um, one of my notes that I didn't get around to because I was saving it for this is, you know, before I, before I give my final thought here, is part of my final thought. I want to address all the fanboys out there. Um, and in horror, you know, the fans are what makes horror is such a fun genre right i mean it's it is i love horror fans i love that they exist and i i i I want them to to continue to support the genre but there is this thing that happens where people want more of a thing right you want more halloween movies right but then when you got a bunch of soulless retreads of doing the same thing over and over again everybody gets angry and they're like well this sucks because it's just like the same thing but less yeah so then you get a rob zombie comes along and does something very different and then everyone's fucking furious because it's like this isn't my this halloween. Isn't the halloween that i love yeah it's it's like this is it's just the last jedi right it's the same shit you know that's a movie with flaws but it's also like i don't know ryan johnson he made an interesting movie he did some cool stuff yeah. He tried some different stuff and everyone's fucking angry. And it's like, so what do you want? You just want more of the same thing? And it's like, I guess some people do, you know? And I don't want to call anybody out, but you know, there are some people that I know and people that I respect even that like I think hate this movie because it's so different 
from John Carpenter's Halloween 1978. And I acknowledge that, yes, it is. And I don't think it's necessarily better. Mm -hmm. We'll find out at the end of the month. But, like, I respect it for being different. Yeah. Some people say it's not John Carpenter's. And to that I say, no. It's Rob Zombie's. Yeah. This is truly Rob Zombie's Halloween. And... Yeah, and that in and of itself merits watching, I think. And and I enjoyed it. And I will watch it again. And I liked it more this time than I did the last time I saw it. And yeah, there are things that I don't like about it, but that is true of almost every movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, yeah, I'm pretty comfortable saying that this is a Mary for me. Well, you said a lot of things that I agree with. I don't think I need to go too much more in depth on my own thoughts because you really nailed it. This is Rob Zombie's Halloween, and I think he did a damn fine job with it. Um, Again, there are things that I don't like. Fine. As you said, a lot of things I don't like in most movies. But I fucking really shocked myself by liking this movie, and I'm shocking myself now by saying it's a Mary. Mary, Mary. Quite contrary. We got a little Mormon household happening here. <laughs> three, <laughs> three happy, happy people in a big bed. <laughs> We're all married. Well, four because Sherry Moon's obviously. Yeah, there. that's clear. She's always there. <laughs> hey, you know. All right. Speaking of Sherry Moon, let's uh, we'll take a quick break and then we'll start talking about part two.
Okay, we're back. Oh, it's still going. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Boom. Okay, let's talk some Halloween 2. Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Yeah. You know, obviously we covered a lot of our thoughts on zombies, so let's just get into the, the making of this movie. Sure. Um, so, you know, something that we, you know, could have talked about during the last one, and uh, I just I just didn't. I didn't because I'm a piece of shit. Um, Rob Zombie's Halloween box office success. Yeah. Borderline smash. Um, it, uh, it actually, so it came out on Labor Day weekend, which you would think would be a big movie weekend. It's not, it's not at all. Um, up until, uh, the release of 2021's Shang-Chi and the Legend of Ten Rings. Wow. Halloween held the Labor Day weekend gross record. Really? Yes. For $30.5 million over Labor Day weekend. Yeah. Um, Domestically, uh, it made $77.4 million, uh, which uh, placed it, at the time, second all-time in the franchise after the original. Wow. Um, And then I think worldwide it... It made another eighty million, so you know it's a hundred and fifty million dollar grossing movie um, against a budget of about fifteen million. So, yeah, and as is the case with runaway hits like that, like the first movie, mm-hmm. you got to make more. Oh yeah, yeah, sure do. So, Zombie initially did not want to do it, not interested. So they brought in a couple of French guys. Uh, Julien Maury and Alexandre Bustillo, uh, who were signed on initially. I think they were still in some kind of negotiations. They turned into some treatments and stuff to Malik Akkad, and he's like, "Nope, these guys don't get it. This isn't hmm. this isn't working." Um, and I don't know all the behind the scenes, but I think Mal- I, you get the impression that Malik Akkad essentially went back to Zombie and was like, "Hey, we would like you to make this. Would you consider it?" And he, in an interview, said that uh, essentially what he told Rob Zombie is, and I quote, don't, don't feel hindered by any of the rules we've had in the past. I want this to be your vision, and I want you to express that vision. Okay. Now, that's the positive part of this movie coming together, that they basically told Zombie he could do pretty much whatever he wanted. And he had expressed how... Making the first one was very exhausting. It was a very stressful process. He took a year off. He kind of cooled off. And then he was like, you know what? I could do another one. Okay. Right? Uh, But he was excited by the idea of not needing to kind of adhere to any of the, as he put it, John Carpenter-ness of the original anymore. And to just sort of be free and to make an unbridled Rob Zombie movie, which is... (laughs) Which he did. Yeah. which 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 is something. Yeah. Um, and so that's, like I said, so that's the good thing. Now, the bad thing is they were already well into pre-production. So he had a very short amount of time to write the script. Um, the money was not, uh, quite, I mean, the budget was basically identical, but it was like, uh, my understanding was it was, there was a little more nickel and diming that okay. happened in terms of getting the thing made. They moved production to Georgia right. for tax incentives. 
Now, he says that he's actually fine with that because he loves to do his hillbilly shit. And he was like, yeah, Atlanta, like, George actually looked really good for what I wanted. Mm -hmm. Which is one of the many things that lends to this movie not really looking or feeling like any prior Halloween film. Yeah. It does feel like a movie that takes place in the South. It feels like a Rob Zombie movie in the Mm -hmm. South, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, apparently, also, this time around, there was a lot of trouble with Zombie and the Weinsteins in terms of back and forth, uh, what you can do, what you can't do, just arguing. He, uh, you know, like a lot of people who were on the set have basically just said that he was like, what are you smiling about? Uh, nothing. I don't want to. I was going to say the potted plant budget was through the roof. <laughs> it's, yeah, yeah, it's a Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, yeah. we get it. <laughs> and that's get why it. I wasn't going to say it until you caught me. Well, I mean, you can't snicker like that and then <laughs> think you're going to get away with it on a live podcast record. Um, yeah, so, you know, we're going to talk about uh, aesthetic stuff. So, some zombie-ish things that I think really come to the fore here. Now, we didn't talk about the soundtrack of Halloween mm-hmm. at all, but it was a fun soundtrack, and a very predictably Rob Zombie, 70s rock kind of soundtrack. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I meant to mention that, yeah. Yeah, I think what you got some... Uh, what's on there? You got some Deep Purple, probably some Foreigners. I don't remember, like that. I don't remember yeah. exactly, yeah. yeah. But it's a lot of like classic right. 70s so rock. So we get more of that here, although although I think some of it gets woven more into the fabric of the movie, specifically the use of the moody blues song Nights in White, White, White Satin, Satin in the opening sequences of this movie. Um, and, uh, yeah, he also brings... He gets to bring in this band that's on his record label called Captain Clegg and the Night Creatures. Which Are they the one that play, performed during at the, the... At the party, yeah. yeah they're okay. a psychobilly band. Of course they are. <laughs> of course they are. <laughs> yeah. Um, and as you mentioned, uh, he made the decision to really basically go as far away from John Carpenter 35mm Panavision... Uh, anamorphic lenses, and he shot this shit on 16 millimeter. Yeah, and I. So, did you watch it on this TV you have down here? I watched it upstairs. Okay, it's similarly sized. Okay, I mean, I watched it. Uh, I actually watched the director's cut, not the theatrical cut. Yeah, I'm so curious the differences. We will talk about them. Um, I watched it with friend of the podcast, Matt. Matt Waite, mm-hmm. actually, because he had the director's cut. So I went over to Matt's place. We checked it out on his ginormous OLED TV. Oh, wow. And I will tell you that 16 millimeter grain on one of these new TVs is intense. It's just like, it's so fucking in your face. Oh, it, it, interesting, because it wasn't that bad. Really? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was just like, I mean, initially I was like, what is going on? Is there like a filter on this or something that's like supposed to make it look extra grainy and uh-huh. then i looked it up and i was like oh yeah he shot in 16 millimeter that's why yeah yeah i mean i definitely did notice more of a like once i learned that fact it's like oh okay i can i can see that now uh but it wasn't i think i could see like i don't know led screen yeah yeah um it really like being a parent is crazy yeah i mean it certainly feels stylish uh you can say that for it um yeah, so in terms of his intentions for this, I think they're pretty clear, which is, but just, you know, to state it out loud, he feels like the first movie is about Michael Myers, 
And that's kind of a departure from the original, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I think you would argue that Laurie is more of a character than Michael yeah. in the first one, right? This uh, Zombies Halloween, very Michael-focused. And so he wanted to make this one the Laurie movie. But it's also because of the events of the first movie, it is, it is a film that almost entirely focused on trauma. Yes. On the... Uh, on the results of trauma and violence on a person, on their psyche. Um, it's about inherited uh, insanity. Yeah. Uh, sickness and, and, and just, and I will say this, I think the, the biggest difference between the theatrical version and the director's cut is the degree to which he goes out of his way to make this a dark, sad, depressing movie. Okay. I'm curious. Because I want to know, you know, and we can go into our synopsis, and then I think we can maybe pick up this conversation, because I want to know how you felt about it Mm -hmm. before I start talking about what's different in the director's cut. Okay. Uh, Oh, you want me to say that now? Do you... I mean, is there anything else? I feel like... uh, I hit most of the big notes in terms of, of, of stuff. Oh, the cast. Let's talk about the cast. Yeah, there's a whole new slew of character actors. Yes. And yeah. some returning. Some returning. So you've got all of your surviving principals back, and some who didn't seemingly survive. Yeah. <laughs> right? So we have our main cast of Scout Taylor Compton as Laurie Strode, Malcolm McDowell as Samuel Loomis. Uh, we still have Danielle Harris as Annie Brackett mm-hmm. and Brad Dourif as Sheriff Brackett. And we have Tyler Maine returning as Michael Myers, even though he got shot in the face in the last one. It's um, never really explained what happened. Yeah, so Matt was telling me about this. I guess in the behind-the-scenes, Zombie talks about this, and he's like, yeah, you know, I tried to kill him, and it didn't work, and so we had to explain why he was alive, and he's like, I didn't really want to bother explaining it. So it's just like he's got a big hole in the mask. Uh-huh. Yeah. The mask is kind of blown away. And he's like, yeah, he just kind of, she missed a little and shot him in the shot side him the of the forehead. face. I'm sorry, in the yeah. temple. Right. And it just kind of bounced off his head and, you know, sprayed a lot of blood everywhere, but he didn't die. Okay. Uh, that's the explanation. There is, I have not heard any explanation for why Samuel Loomis has no eye damage. Yeah. Um, well, he has a mustache now, so maybe that maybe. <laughs> So he pushing his eyes, pushing his eyes, and pushed the mustache just out. Pushed hair out of the fall <laughs> like a Play-Doh <laughs> hair man. Yeah, here. yeah. So here's uh, let's let's talk about some some folks who show up in this cast uh, for the first time. Um, very early on in the ER scene, there is a cameo hidden behind a mask. Did you catch who it was? I saw. Yeah, I didn't know mm-hmm. who it was at the time. But I saw who it is. Carol- but you didn't you didn't notice when when it was happening. I didn't. No, no, yeah. I didn't notice. Yeah, yeah. Caroline Williams. Yeah, yeah. Stretch, stretch from uh, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre two. Yeah, Eric's favorite. Yeah. Love her. I yeah, crush he said her. he would leave his wife for her. I I tweeted about how I had a crush on her, and she retweeted it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. So then, okay, we got some we got some shit kicker guys playing the corners. Dayton Callie from uh justified from sons of anarchy a lot of a couple sons yeah. of anarchy players yeah. in this one uh richard brake who actually got his role in this through a recommendation from bill mosley and he goes on i believe he is the third in three from hell 
Oh, really? He's like the new addition to their clan, mm-hmm. more or less. So he has a very large role in that movie. Randomly, Octavia Spencer. Yeah, I was fucking blown away by that. Yeah. Plays Nurse Daniels. And so, like, she was Octavia Spencer at this time, right? Or I mean, she, she had just... done some stuff at but this point. But she wasn't point. the, the like... I don't think she was, like, kind of the big star, big star that she, she is, is now. now. But I'm looking at the timeline here. So this was 2009. And at the this point, let's see, what had she done? A lot of TV stuff. Okay, so she was, I guess... She, yeah, I she guess hadn't the, had her big breakout yet. Yeah. Which, it just really surprised me. When, yeah. And she's so small in it, too. <laughs> I, I mean, like, her role is small. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess, like, you know, Hidden... hidden uh, figures was her mm-hmm. big breakout that's funny yeah um okay so who else we have uh richard real uh who plays buddy the night watchman uh people recognize him from office space as the jump to conclusions guy he's oh, been yeah. in a lot of comedies and yeah, stuff. yeah 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 uh, i also rode a super shuttle to lax with him once at five in the morning no way really <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was weird not him just the whole experience, the experience was yeah. strange yeah um let's see who else do we have we have uh mary birdsong we have howard hessman from head of the class in wkrp in cincinnati oh yeah yeah uh as uncle meat <laughs> wait uh, who's uncle meat oh uh, is he the is he the coffee shop owner yes yeah. oh, okay okay yeah um margo kidder oh not coffee shop record store. record store record store yeah where where Lori works with her friends yeah uh, Margot Kidder, yep. who in the theatrical version playing what is essentially a cameo role as a therapist, much bigger part. Okay, in the I was wondering cut. because you know she's a pretty big name for yeah. a small part. No, she has a, a lot more screen time in the director's cut. Um, you have Dwayne Whitaker who plays uh, one of the like rednecks that Michael kills. Um, uh huh. And he is, you might know him from Pulp Fiction as uh, the guy who's not Zed, who's also a, a pawn, the, the pawn pervert, shop rapist yeah. Uh-huh. pervert. Yeah. Uh, I forget his character's name. Mark Boone Jr., uh, Bobby Elvis from Sons of Anarchy. Sons of Anarchy. Right. Uh, who else do we have? Who am I forgetting? So we got this new guy, Jeff Daniel Phillips, who plays the security guy at the strip club mm-hmm. who is great. So that was a role that was supposed to be played by Bill Mosley, but Bill Mosley couldn't do it. Hmm. Uh, and so he was, he's actually a double role because he is also the MC of the Halloween party. I was wondering, cause I saw those two names under his. Yeah. yeah. And so they just had him do that too. And I think he does a really good job. Man, this is really, mm-hmm. uh, reductive of bill mosley's career but what was he doing if not a rob zombie movie you know what i mean like it just seems like he's only in rob zombie movies but i guess it's not true yeah but i i understand the question and i think it's a fair one uh to ask was sid Haig in this one sid Haig is not in this one and this okay. is one of the only rob zombie movies that said sid Haig is not in but he's in the last one right am i wrong uh in the last what howling Yes, he was in the last one. Okay, he yeah, he yeah, plays yeah. the security guard, or the cop who gets one of the Oh, yes, okay, yeah. yeah. I watch these movies like pretty much back-to-back, so it's yeah, some the, of it blends the, together. Yeah, it does blend together a little bit. Um, so we've also got Deputy Webb uh, is... I'm gonna, I always fuck up his name. I'm never quite sure how to pronounce it. Bill Fagerbacki, or Fagerbach, I think is his name. But uh, most famously, Dauber from Coach. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and then <laughs> M-O-O-N. That yeah. spells moon. Yeah. It's Tom Cullen in the That's stand. right, from the stand. Yes. Uh, we have a really uh, weird uh, cameo by Chris Hardwick and Weird yeah. Al Yeah. <laughs> yeah. thing was so fucking funny. Yeah, we'll get back to Chris Hardwick later in the uh, uh, episode. Yeah, yeah. I get that one earmarked as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like skipping over a bunch of people who have very, you know, who I kind of recognize as like very C and D list. And that's not an insult to them. Just, no. you know, like, uh, horror actors, but there's just so many fucking people that he jams into this movie. It's really, honestly, it's impressive. And I just think about it and it's like, like, I don't know how you go. I mean, these people obviously don't have huge fees. But still, at a certain point, you reach this just volume where it's like... Yeah, it's like you could just get an extra to be, or like yeah. a, a, you know, a much cheaper person. Right. I wonder how many of them are just like, yeah, I'll do it for skill because it's fun and it's Rob Zombie and it's yeah. Halloween. But man, there's so many goddamn people in this movie. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's get into the recap of this. During his time in Smith's Grove Sanitarium, a young Michael Myers is vi- visited by his mother, Deborah, who gives him a white horse statuette as a gift. Uh, this doesn't cover the title. Yeah, did exp- you write it down? I didn't write it down. Fuck. You find it, and then by the time I'm done, you, you, we can read it. It's okay. it's like a an entry on what this white horse symbolizes. <laughs> Fifteen years later, Laurie Strode is wandering around in shock after having shot an adult Michael. Sheriff Lee Brackett finds Laurie and takes her to the hospital. Meanwhile, the paramedics pick up Annie Brackett and Michael's psychiatrist, Dr. Samuel Loomis, who survived being attacked by Michael and take them to the hospital. Michael's body is taken in another ambulance. When the driver has a traffic accident, Michael awakens and escapes, killing a paramedic injured in the accident. Wow. Okay. Well... All right, sure. What? It it, it completely uh, skips over the hospital massacre. Really? Yeah. Because then two years later, Laurie is now living with the Brackets. Michael has been missing and is presumed dead. While Laurie deals with her trauma, Dr. Sam Loomis has chosen to turn the event into right. an opportunity to write another book. Okay, so let's do our best to just talk about yeah. the hospital. So this is revealed to be a dream sequence, yes. which we will talk about, but it's essentially kind of like a... It's like a, the first 20 minutes of the movie. Yeah, and it's like an illusion or sort of a nod to Halloween 2. Yeah. The original, right? Yeah. So, so what? She wakes up in the hospital. She wakes up. She goes to like the nurse's station where we see Octavia Spencer. Yeah. She limps all, all the way to Annie's room. Yeah. Uh, just to like be near Annie and to like kind of cry and apologize. Yeah, and, and that's stuff, where we right? see that Annie's still alive. Right. Um, and, and then it, Michael arrives. Yeah, and starts, starts fucking starts offing people, fucking destroying people. Like yeah. absolutely. That's when my wife was like, "This isn't even fun to watch." Yeah. No, he's just. Yeah, so he like really stabs the shit out of Octavia Spencer. Like right in the gets her right in the face. Yeah. Like, her Ugh. face is like split open. It's super brutal. Yeah, super brutal. Yeah, because she comes around the corner, right, and she's got just like a fucking knife hole in her nose yeah, yeah, or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like he's already stabbed her once in the face, and she's yeah. like completely dazed. Yeah, it's super fucked up. So Lori goes on the run. She runs down a long stairwell, discovers a bunch more bodies. Yep, makes her way outside. It's right, pouring rain. Mm-hmm. 
Guts gets to the security shack where we mentioned not before she has to crawl over a pit of dead bodies <laughs> oh right right <laughs> which is never really explained yeah that yeah. isn't i mean i guess it's a dream sequence so it doesn't mm-hmm. really need to be and then uh that guy uh, i can't remember his name the, the jump to conclusions jump to conclusions guy <laughs> is killed by michael mm-hmm. and then um what happens to her does she just so she, she's just like hiding in this tiny little security shack while he's basically like Breaking, breaking it, it down. down yeah and then how does it resolve she and just then wakes she up in gets bed. out and i think he gets in or she jumps out and then he's about to stab her and then she and then she wakes up, up. Yeah. okay all right so then two years later she's living with the brackets michael has been missing and is presumed dead while Lori deals with her trauma dr sam lewis has chosen to turn the events into an opportunity to write another book Elsewhere, Michael, who is still alive and living as a drifter, has been having visions of his mother's ghost in a younger version of himself, who instruct him to reunite with Laurie. Michael arrives at a farm and kills the owners before he sets off for Haddonfield. As Michael travels to Haddonfield, Laurie begins having hallucinations that mirrored Michael's past. Her hallucinations also begin to include her acting out Michael's murders. Meanwhile, Loomis goes on tour to promote his book, only to be criticized by the public, who blame him for Michael's actions and for exploiting the deaths of Michael's victims. When Loomis's book is released, Laurie discovers that she is really Angel Myers, Michael's long-lost sister. She goes to a Halloween party with her co-workers, Maya and Harley, to escape how she's feeling. Michael appears at the party and kills Harley, then goes back to the Brackett house and fatally wounds Annie. When Lori and Maya return to the house, they find Annie, who dies in Lori's arms. Michael kills Maya, and then comes after Lori, who manages to escape. Sheriff Brackett arrives home and finds his daughter dead. Lori flags down a car, but Michael kills the driver and flicks, flips the car over, with Lori still inside. Michael then takes the unconscious Lori to an abandoned shed. Lori awakens to her hallucinations with Deborah, seen by both her and Michael, who asks for her to call her mommy. The police discover Michael's location and surround the shed. Loomis arrives and goes uh, inside to try to reason with Michael, but when he... Th- but then... <sighs> Jesus fucking Christ. But when he tries to resuscitate Laurie from her hallucinations, Michael grabs Loomis and stabs him to death, before being shot through the cabin window by Brackett and impaled on a rake. Apparently released from her visions, Laurie walks over to Michael and stabs him to death with his own knife. The shed door opens and Lori walks out, wearing Michael's mask. Later, Lori sits in isolation isolation in a psychiatric ward, grinning as Deborah's ghost approaches with the white horse. Okay, and the white horse, at the beginning, we get a card. Uh, it says, white horse linked to instinct, purity, and the drive of the physical body to release powerful and emotional forces. Like rage with ensuing chaos and destruction. Excerpt from the subconscious psychosis of dreams. Well, thank you for that. Uh huh. Okay. Blood and guts check. Um, do you want to go first or you want me to go first? Why well, don't you go first this time? This is my first time seeing it. All right, you and- went first last time. You should go first again. That's Are you sure? Mean. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was just like, I didn't want to be on record as saying something incorrect that would have driven me insane so (laughs) um so this is my first time watching this one i had really high hopes 
coming off of um, the last one. And honestly, I've been peeking around at other people's lists uh, of the rankings of the of yeah where this movie. I'm sorry, this series, and uh, in a few of them, two ranked above one. Okay. Um, in that I I read it's more of an unbridled Rob Zombie movie. That is true. I that think. is true. Uh, unfortunately for me, it is too much of an unbridled Rob Zombie movie, mm-hmm. and I found it to be way less focused. Yeah, and kind of a, a two two or three steps away from what I enjoy about the first one, sure. and the rest of the series as a mm-hmm. whole. Uh, so yeah, that's kind of where. Uh, that's kind of where I wanted. Okay, sorry. I, I was looking at my mm-hmm. notes. Yeah. Also, I loved the first 20 minutes, and then it kind of, I felt like it really deviated sure. from, from there. Yeah, it sucks when you find out that the part that you've just really enjoyed is all a dream sequence. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I, Before I go, because I, so I watched a different movie than you did, right? Mm-hmm. So I watched Rob Zombie's director's cut of this, which is, I think, 20 minutes longer um and funny enough to the best of my knowledge contains no additional gore or violence yeah the violence is fucking crazy yeah. in this movie which <laughs> it's like i am honestly shocked that the theatrical version of this movie got an r rating yeah it is well i guess i'll just say this now cuz we're talking about it now i was going to talk about it later i would say outside of Brandon Cronenberg's Possessor. Yeah. This is maybe the goriest movie I've watched in the last few years. I think so, too. Yeah. And so, when I... Sorry, you haven't gotten to your thoughts yet. No, I don't want to, but go ahead. But this ties into it, because, like I said, my wife was like, this is too much. And to that, I thought, yeah, it is. I want to see how this sustains for the rest of it. Because Mm -hmm. at that point, in the 20-minute mark, before it's a dream sequence... I was like, is this just going to be this relentless mm-hmm. Michael destroying everybody to get right. to get to Laurie? And it's just a big cat and mouse chase. Mm-hmm. And I was like, actually, I'm fucking really into sure. that idea. Like how like, yeah, all right, beat me up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it just doesn't do that. Fine. Yeah. It's, it like, goes in a pretty different direction. Yeah. Now, I just want just because like before I like fully start addressing the differences in these two movies, I'd love to hear just a little bit more about what bothered you in terms of the choices that he made. And I'm, like maybe what you would so so I'm already hearing some of what you would have liked to be different. Uh but do you want to expound any more on what didn't work for you? Um okay, yeah, so some of the things uh I think it's funny that the teenage girls in this movie all have the same aesthetic and taste as Rob Zombie. <laughs> like Alice Cooper posters sure, and like yeah. knitted hats. Yeah, and like uh, Scout Taylor Compton's hair is slowly dreading and getting just as shitty as his and his yeah, wife's. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, the white horse stuff I thought was pretty cheesy mm-hmm. and like of course this, he has to shoehorn Sherry Moon in there some more. Right. Um... I'm trying. I'm looking. I'm just quickly looking through to see what else yeah. there is. Uh, oh, I hated the look of Drifter Michael Myers. Okay, 
who just looked like a wrestler. Like now he's yeah. like full wrestler mode. Sure. He has like a robe, even like a Ric Flair mm-hmm. robe. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like a Grim Reaper's robe. Yeah, because for most of this movie, he does not wear a mask. Yeah. And I'm curious about oh. how... What? No. Oh, I was saying, sorry, finish your thought. I just re- remember tonight. That's actually... Um, and then the other thing that I didn't like was the huge character shift of Loomis. Uh-huh. Whereas, like, in the first one, I'm like, oh, I like him. Yeah. He seems like a good doctor. Mm-hmm. And in this one, he's, like, unbridled asshole. Um, yeah. And also, authors writing to book signings in a fucking limo? <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's a big book signing. Yeah, I guess so, at the bookstore yeah. in Haddonfield. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that was actually Malcolm McDowell's pitch. Oh, really? Yeah, for Loomis to go down this road in the movie. Huh. Which is like, all right, well, that's fun, but also has, yeah, I don't know that it, it's a little bit of a 180. Not a total, you know what, though? I think he is a little bit, like, he smacks of a little cheesiness in the first one. Sure. At times. But it is still, it's still, like, a pretty jarring shift to just, like, full-on dick. Now, the thing I don't know is, I know there is a lot more added to Loomis's subplot in the director's cut. And I didn't feel quite as strongly about that as you did. And I wonder if it's because he just gets developed a little bit. Maybe so, yeah. Because he does have, even though he's kind of a dick to his assistant, and he is a little bit, uh, he's he's pretty sleazy. And he he also, he constantly hits this note in the director's cut of, it's like, why is everyone so mad at me? Yeah, he kind of gets that in this one too. Yeah. Yeah, where it's like, okay, well, at least he doesn't, like, he's not, evil you know he's not like trying to hurt people he's just like what i'm just like i wrote a book what's the right deal? right um okay so before i give my thoughts on the movie let me try to address some of the differences in the director's cut okay mm-hmm. are you sure mm-hmm. you seem you seem tentative you seem like maybe you don't want to hear about the director's cut are you being serious are you fucking with me <laughs> <laughs> I'm mostly fucking. With okay. You. In oh, fact, Jesus yes, I Christ. am just fucking. With yeah, you. you're saving face now. No, I was fucking with you. I was, I mean, you know, I was hoping you'd play along a little bit, but you know, it didn't work out. Okay, so the director's cut. Uh, I overshot a little bit. It's 14 minutes longer than the original. I'm out. Uh, <laughs> so, in uh, you know, from a bird's eye view, the big thing that it does is it changes Lori's story. Okay. And. And when I talked about it being a dark, depressing, sort of almost a slog of a movie to get through, you know, what I remember of the theatrical cut and what I've seen on, you know, reading people's comments on the differences in this one, in what you watched, she's like trying to get her shit back together. Yeah. And it's going along okay. And she's got a life and, and, you know, she's rebuilding. It's tough, whatever. And then... Essentially, the angel stuff gets out and Michael shows up and it's like, well, it's all fucked. Yeah. So in the director's cut, nothing is ever okay. Okay. Like, from the very beginning, she is having a really hard time. She's having intrusive thoughts constantly. She is heavily, heavily medicated. She is fighting constantly with Annie. 
Yeah, there's a there is tension in the director's yeah. uh, theatrical cut. So in this one, they are full on like screaming at each other. Okay, like there are multiple fights that the two of them have, and it's all very it's like it leaves a very sour taste in your mouth, and it like makes sense, but it's really unpleasant because it's just like yeah, it's like her only friend who survived this whole thing, and they just fight with each other all the time, and she talks about with her therapist how she hates her. Because mm. she's like a reminder of what happened. Because she looks at her face and she sees the scars and then she feels guilty and, you know. Well, I can see then Annie's death being more impactful. So Annie's death is is wrung out for a lot of drama. Most of which works and is very tough and very sad. But then <laughs> Zombie goes right to the edge of the precipice. And then he careens over in his big... Hellbilly Dragula. Deluxe. Dragula, yeah. Um, he actually uses child, real life childhood uh, videotapes of Danielle Harris. What? That like flash and intercut with Brad Dourif weeping as he is like dealing with the death of his daughter. And then we see like five-year-old Danielle Harris like waving at the camera and like blurry VHS footage (laughs) and it's just like all right this is too much man yeah like but it is like this movie in the in the director's cut fully fucking just languishes in pain okay it's like you are just kind of (laughs) again that idea of feeling beat up where it's just like Laurie is never okay there is no point in the movie when you're like, she might be all right. It's like, no, her life is already ruined by this. Oh, wow. That's interesting, though. Yeah. It's sort of like where the Halloween, the next Halloween goes. Yeah. In a way. Um, okay, sorry. Yeah, continue yeah. Continue with your... So there's some other stuff. How much of Michael's face do you see in the theatrical version? I don't think a ton. I think you okay. see like a little bit in silhouette. Yeah, like you see shadow. like his beard, yeah, right? Yeah, and you yeah. see a little... So, so in the, in the director's cut, you just fully see his face. Really? Yes. And he talks. No. <laughs> yes. What? What does he say? He screams die uh, when he kills Loomis at the end of the movie. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like you see his face. He throws him through the. So the ending of the movie is actually quite different. Okay. It still takes place in the same setting. They get to the shack. There's the showdown. Sherry Moon Zombie is there. Loomis shows up. He runs in. But then at that point, what happens is Loomis is trying to negotiate with Michael. It fails as you would expect. Michael throws him through the wall of the shed and out into the field. Mm -hmm. Then comes out, face fully exposed and lit. So you're just looking at Tyler Maine with a beard. Okay, so they don't make him up to be, like, monstrous at all? No, it's just Tyler Maine with his beard. Uh, screams die and stabs him in the chest. Also, they, he does a lot of... Uh, does he make a lot of noise during the kills in the theatrical version? Uh, not, in any, not in a way that stood out to me. Okay, because noticeably in the director's cut... It's, you can almost feel a zombie building up to having him talk. Okay. Like, he makes, like, grunts and guttural noises and almost, like, you know, ah, like, does stuff like that. Uh, you know, that mean that may be present in the theatrical cut, but I didn't, it didn't really, like, yeah. register with me. So, so that is a change, one that 
I do not agree with. Yeah. Um, and then the ending. So basically, um, Michael gets shot a billion times by the cops. He doesn't, I think, he maybe succeeds in stabbing Loomis, like killing Loomis. I'm not sure. But essentially, Lori comes out, sees Michael get shot to death. Michael falls. He drops his knife. Then Lori goes and grabs the knife and starts dazedly walking towards Loomis and goes to stab Loomis. And then some fucking cop shoots her. Whoa. <laughs> and she gets shot a bunch of times while Bra- well, Ch- Sheriff Brackett is screaming like cease fire, cease fire. And it's like she gets killed. And so the end scene is the same. But it is meant to be interpreted as she's dead. She's dead. She's not in a psych ward. This is like she's she's dead or dying. And it still has Sherry and the white horse walking towards her. We get this very long tracking shot down a all-white hallway. Mm-hmm. And then you get the... Um, it's a cover of Love Hurts, which we hear the original version of in the first Halloween movie. Um... But, yeah, and apparently in Zombie's original pitch, it was all going to be Lori. Okay. It was going to be that Lori was, that Michael was dead. And she's now. And and it's basically just like she is killing people and imagining Deborah and Michael there. I mean, I'm going to spoil a movie called... How do I even do we this? Can't say that. Uh, skip ahead 30 seconds if you don't want to hear the movie that Eric's going to spoil. Yeah. The, in High Tension. Okay. Where, did you ever see that? No, I haven't. Okay. That's fine. No. I would have seen it by now. If the I main character is the killer, it turns uh, out. I wonder if it's in the... But she's like fully sees somebody else. Yeah. I wonder if that's... If like she see, we're supposed to see Michael doing this. Yeah. But then you find out it is her. Um. Anyway. Sorry. I think that was the idea behind it. Got it. So anyways, so to kind of circle back to the top, what you get, and you also get a lot more of Lori in therapy, like I talked about. Margot Kidder has a much bigger role. She spends a lot of time unpacking her PTSD and, like, demanding more medication and just talking about how hard things in it are and what's wrong with life and how miserable she is. And it's just, like, it's funny because now that I've seen both, I think thematically it's actually a much more coherent movie the director's cut the director's cut however it is wildly unpleasant yeah and he makes a bunch of terrible decisions with regards to handling michael okay okay yeah yeah i i was going to say i don't think the theatrical cut is wildly unpleasant in Mm -hmm. that way but i think it's wildly Totally different mm-hmm. in a way that I did not enjoy. Like we were, we said it before that like Psycho Billy, yeah, in the middle of it. There's everything is fucking Rob Zombie. Right, All of a sudden right. it's like wow, it's a Rob Zombie music video. Mm-hmm. This is this is like what you think yeah. of when you think of Rob Zombie, and it is the inverse. So what I alluded to at the beginning, it's like where you where he chooses to be Rob Zombie like. Right is kind of like a hit is determines whether or not it's successful for me. So in the first movie, he's very Rob zombie in the very, in the very beginning mm-hmm. and then course corrects and is just, is 
it's just a good movie from that point on. In this one, he is fully Rob Zombied out the entire time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's true. Um, in a way that I didn't just didn't think it worked for me as well. Yeah. I, I mean I think that's I think that's very fair. Um and yeah, I mean I think really <sighs> Like let's let's do this because I think the, everything I have left to say I want to kind of say in my final uh, yeah, rating. I actually don't have that much more written down. I did want to call out that like it's funny because I think it makes more sense popping up in the theatrical version because it's like fun, but in the in the in the director's cut it kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. But the party sequence, uh huh, it's just like we were watching Matt and I were watching the movie and we and I said confidently I was just like. I don't think any Halloween party this cool has ever actually happened in real life. Yeah, I was thinking that too. Like, yeah. it's like arguably a fifty to one hundred thousand dollar production. Yeah, like there are giant animatronic like yeah. Halloween monsters, and it's like all set design and it's so fucking cool. I, and there's I will say there was were you there the time? So I'm I'm in a well, I'm sort of in a band right now. I was in a band called Wreck of the Zephyr. I said it slowly so people uh-huh. understand me. Wreck of the Zephyr. Um, and then for Halloween time, uh-huh. we would turn into Glenn, which is a Misfits cover band. Yeah, I saw you guys once. Once. Was yeah. it at the... There was one time we did it at a uh, prop house or like a, a set house where the people had like backdrops and sets. I was not there stuff. for that. Yeah, And that was in... Um, Basically in this neighborhood. Okay. Um, and they went all out. They had like go-go dancers. They had murder clowns, like <laughs> horror clowns yeah, walking yeah. around, scaring people mm. in a bar and stuff. Yeah. It was crazy. It reminded me a little bit. Okay. Of this. Yeah. Not as, not as picture yeah. perfect as, yeah. as, I mean, I've been to three Maroon 5 Halloween parties. <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Didn't you take a shit in Adam Levine's bathroom? Yeah, I did that once, too. Yeah, I went to his house. I mean, I went to his house Why once. Why do you know Adam Levine? So, my best friend from high school, his older brother, who's also a friend, uh, is one of Adam Levine's best friends. Okay. Just randomly, they met when this guy moved. His name's Sam, when he moved to L.A. And I don't remember the whole story, but essentially, like, he just met the Maroon 5 guys, and then he and Adam became super tight and now he's like his uh he's not his assistant he's like his it's in essence like a butler more or less like huh. he takes care of, like he basically takes care of the house he runs the house like house staff yeah he's like yeah he's like the main guy yeah uh but he's also like one of his best friends and so yeah one time i went over to adam levine's house to watch uh lakers game and it was me and sam and isaac and adam levine how is that I mean, you can tell me off air. He's fine. I mean, he's a perfectly... I mean, you know, he's a giant celebrity, so yeah. he's a little detached from reality. He seems like a perfectly nice guy. I mean, he's just like a very, like, kind of L.A. bro type sure, of dude. Sure. He's friendly, you know? he We we played... We putted on his putting green. <laughs> I got to see his car elevator. His house must be fucking wild. Yeah, well, he never stays in one for more than, like, uh-huh. six months. Of course, of course. The last one that I saw... Was the one he's been in the longest. He keeps buying houses, spending tens of million dollars on renovating them, and then moving out before yeah, the sure. renovations yeah. are done. Uh, so he currently lives in Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner's old house. In, is it like in the hills? It's in yeah, it's in Bel Air. Uh, oh, or no, okay, okay. or no, it's in Brentwood. This one's in Brentwood. Brentwood. Yeah, the old one was in Bel Air. Wow, 
Yeah. Anyways, Halloween two. <laughs> yeah. So I saw. So I've been to three of those parties, and like the production value is there, but like the style isn't there. Yeah. Because yeah, you know yeah. it's Maroon Five. It's not Rob Zombie. I bet Rob Zombie throws a fucking great Halloween party. Or does he throw one at all? Does he just? No, probably not. I probably just like just watches. drink cider with Sherry Moon on yeah, the farm. Yeah, they, they, they like know? watch movies. And they like pet pigs that they rescued <laughs> from a farm. Yeah. Um, so but, you never said what you think about this movie. <laughs> That's a great point. Uh, well, I kind of did. It's punishing. I mean, it is... I really think... I mean, at this point, unless there's anything else you want to say, I think we can roll into superlatives, and I will I say so everything too. I think about it in my final rating. Okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, perhaps that's the way we should do things all the time. No, I can't <laughs> I can't hold on to stuff for that long. Uh, let me pull up... Uh-oh, uh-oh. Here we go. People who died people who died we are scrolling down and okay uh we got the two coroners in the car gruesome fucking deaths holy shit we didn't talk about the one guy's face the one guy's fit the guy from the sons of anarchy yeah his face is a fucked up yeah it's like a very violent head-on collision what do they hit a deer a cow a cow that's right that's uh, it's probably another PETA thing. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, his face is totally destroyed. Yeah. It's all mushed up. and It's like they probably looked at real pictures of car crashes yeah. and replicated that. Yeah, because se- I've never seen anything yeah, quite exactly. like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's so, like, I don't seek this shit out at all. Yeah. I'm not, like, a gore, like an actual real gore mm-hmm. person. But at any times that I've stumbled upon... Yeah actual pictures it's like it doesn't make sense to look at yeah there's an almost unreal quality to it and that's the way this was it like it didn't make sense what we were looking at it didn't resemble a human form yeah and it's on screen just long enough that you get to take it in but you don't get time to sort it all out you're like wait what what uh yeah and then the other guy gets his fucking head Head sawed off off. yeah sawed off basically with a boy shard of glass yeah and like tendons and arteries and everything it's, it's gross yeah it's gnarly as fuck um octavia spencer yeah um another unnamed nurse gets her eyes gouged out buddy uh who the um yeah. you know, guy who tries to help in the guard shack gets hacked in the back with a fire axe floyd gets impaled on some deer antlers yeah. floyd is a uh, the sons of anarchy guy i believe yeah bobby elvis Sherman, Mark Boone Jr. Sherman Benny. I don't know who that it's is. The other guy his eyes slit, that truck. eyes slit and stabbed five times. <laughs> Jazzlene Benny. <laughs> so Jazzlene. Jazzlene. Howard Boggs. These are like fucking yeah. such Rob Zombie <laughs> names. Chokes, chokes slammed, skull crushed. Oh, he's the uh, the the like strip club guy. Uh no that's oh, that's no, no. Big Lou Lou Martin that's him oh Arm- but Howard must be the he's is he the, the other guard guy. at the strip club yeah arm broken head smashed Misty Dawn head bashed against a wall Wolfie stabbed in the back while peeing Harley David gets strangled Deputy Andy Neal neck snapped Maya gets stabbed in the chest Annie Brackett gets fucking stabbed blood everywhere oh god yeah the interior of that bathroom so gruesome all the blood on the tile and everything it's very yeah you can tell he thought about this stuff uh that driver who tries to help laurie gets thrown through the windshield loomis gets stabbed uh 
Stabbed 12 times until brain exposed. <laughs> Stabbed in the gut in the unrated cut. And then Michael Myers, finally. Uh, I'll go first. My favorite death was uh, one of the more visceral, viscerally mm-hmm. brutal ones. And it's the it's Big Lou getting his head stomped. The head stomping is just fucking... Fucking gross. It goes on for so, so long. So long. You really like... It's, it's squishy and... Yeah. Feels realistic. It's really effective. And again, the sound design. So, is... Oh yeah, that was that, that was the thing my wife called. I was like, the sound on this is just like I don't know what it is. It's just too yeah. much. Yeah, it's really horrifying. Yep. Um, man, that's a good one. I will go with um the coroner head decapitation because he also that whole scene. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure that Jess had a really hard time. It's so unpleasant to watch because yeah, he goes through like an, a very long sequence of shots where he's clearly just been critically injured in the crash. Yeah, and he's his like jaws broken or yeah. something. So he can't really move his mouth right. And yeah. He's just moaning yeah. and going like, "Oh God, oh God," and like yeah. begging for help. And before that. He's talking about how he wants to fuck the dead girl in the back. Yeah. yeah. Like the girl from the first movie, mm-hmm. uh, Linda. Yeah, I meant to ask you, does he? Does the other guy tell a joke right before they crash? Yes, he does, yeah. Is uh, it yeah. the same horrible the jam, joke? Jam, jam, jelly, jam joke? jelly joke, yep. yeah. Yeah, moments that didn't age well, that one. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of that. Yeah, we'll be there in a second. Yeah, and, and also just to, just to throw that out there, that, that this is the same sequence in which we see the smushed face, and I think... All of that together makes this certainly the most gruesome scene in the movie for me. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Uh, moments so that didn't age well. That that joke yeah. definitely did not yeah. age very Which well. Which I will not repeat on the podcast. But the funny thing is, that's a perfect moments that didn't age well. Because when we were in college, those kinds of jokes were like all the rage. Yeah, like dead baby jokes. Dead baby jokes. Yes, absolutely. Like domestic abuse jokes yeah and, yeah and it's the exactly the kind of thing that people like me like smart edgy white boys mm-hmm. would just be mm-hmm. like oh yeah i tell this joke i would never do anything like that exactly but isn't yep. it shocking to hear this yeah it's like and i feel like those are just the people who like make their life I mean, on I made like a f- 8chan now or whatever right and yeah. i made a fucking movie like that like yeti a love story yeah. is like full of shit not right. like that specifically but yeah. like edgy like i can say yeah. this because i don't really believe it yeah you know? exactly i believe in good things so i can say the bad thing and it's like yeah, no no yeah uh and then yeah also the appearance of chris hardwick who <laughs> is so jarring is very jarring because thankfully we don't see chris hardwick much anymore no um weird al was weird yeah in that role but I, he wasn't off-putting like seeing chris hardwick no no chris hardwick uh yeah <sighs> go away chris does, did they still have a podcast? Sing-a-do? I don't know. Yeah, I stopped. I, I, I disliked Chris Hardwick for so long. Yeah, that even when those allegations mm-hmm. came out, uh, which seemed pretty, I, I don't know. I won't. Whatever. Um, I was like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I had I not to pat myself on the back, but there's a lot of people who have been outed. Yeah, b- of being bad that I just have always disliked. Yeah, like, so I'm like, I knew something was wrong. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I've always kind of just disliked that. I've heard he's a dick, too. So sure. Fuck. All right. Okay. And then on the John Carpenter fear meter, this one's definitely a lower 
dumber yeah. than the last. It's certainly hard to watch. Yeah, yeah. Agreed. But yeah, it's not super scary in many moments. The opening. Yeah. The hospital stuff is pretty scary. And I'll say... Uh, yeah, like Michael at the house when he finally gets to the house and he gets to Annie and he gets to Maya, like that stuff's pretty creepy. Yeah, it's like a five-ish, probably. Yeah, five sounds about right to me. Yeah. All right. Cool. There you have it. Finally, Mary fuck kill on this jumbo-sized episode. Yeah, we had to cut a segment. We're saving it for. Yeah, later. we're saving it because we just don't want to go an hour, two hour, two and a half hours long. Wow, it's late. Uh, I gotta go home and watch fucking Goodwill Hunting for class. <laughs> <laughs> so lame. I gotta edit the rest of this podcast and write an episode oh, description. Fun. Um, You're a hero. All right. Okay. Uh, see, I, you always you set the precedent that you just will talk for a long time about your final thoughts on this movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um. So I, I I can't do that. I just I, you don't I, have to do what I, I, I no do. Interest. It's okay. But. But I was saying, I wrote to myself sometime during the middle of this movie that this is either a, a terrible movie or a brilliant movie. Uh-huh. And I couldn't really tell which yeah. for a long time. But it is pure, uncut Rob Zombie. And for that, I, I respect it, uh-huh. but I don't enjoy it. Uh-huh. Maybe like the first one. It'll age well for me, and I can watch it again some other time. Mm-hmm. And I'll be like, "Hey, you know what? That's some." I don't really suspect that's the case yeah. for me. Um, but I really am torn between a fuck and a kill. Mm. It's on the cusp. Sure. And right now, my feelings, thinking back on it, aren't as negative as I kind of anticipated. Mm-hmm. So I think I'm gonna go on the. The fuck side. Okay. I'm not willing to cut this movie out of my life for good. Mm-hmm. I'd like to watch it again at some point. You should watch the director's cut. See what yeah, I'd like to watch it. I actually would like to watch the director's cut. So, yeah, so for me, it's going to be a fuck. Okay. That makes sense. Um, Yeah, so I said most of the descriptors that I wanted to about the movie. But, yeah, my feelings about it were... Like, the same kind of conflicted Rob Zombie feelings uh, that we talked about going into the first one. But the, but they weren't resolved in, in such yeah. a clean way. Where yeah. I watched the first one, I was like, you know what? This is actually good. And I was like, fuck, fuck the haters, you know? This was like, oh, boy. This is, is hard to kind of parse out because it is a really... Um, I mean, Christ, like we've talked about on this podcast before, the idea of having like a point of view Mm -hmm. and like a personal sense of style. And Jesus, I mean, of course, like this guy has that in spades, right? Yeah. Like, and this movie is so unapologetically like uh, opinionated and sort of distinct. And especially in watching the director's cut, you know, he really swings for the fences. And I'm going to say that the things that he totally whiffs on, the Sherry Moon and the horse stuff, mm-hmm. occasionally is interesting. Looks cool mm-hmm. sometimes. 
but it's yeah. just like but it's like kind of based on just like yeah and the thing is like I, I think he reached for more depth than he should have yeah. you know and that's kind of that's what happens when you take a big swing and you miss right he tried to pull off something that at least when he was making this movie he was not in a position to pull off but when you look at this in the grand scheme of it was an incredibly troubled production. That's something I didn't get around to talking about. But, like, they were rained out, like, half the time they were supposed to shoot. Oh, man. So they were, like, super delayed, way backed up. You know, he was getting hamstrung by the Weinsteins. He had, like, three weeks to write and put the whole thing together. And the fact that all of that happened, and it was a famously troubled production... With a bunch of interference and a lot of fighting and a lot of problems. And apparently people were stealing, like, crew was, like, stealing money from the budget and stuff. And wow. It's like, the whole thing was apparently a fiasco. And the fact that this is the movie that he made, I mean, this guy's a force in nature. There's no way, there's no way around that. But it's like, you know, there are a lot of sort of exploitation schlock directors and things like that that you'd say the same thing about and it's like it doesn't mean the movies are good but it does make them you know impressive in a way and i think watching the director's cut like it is an impressive movie it's just not very enjoyable and that's kind of what i look for most of the time when I'm watching movies is yeah. to enjoy them. And some people don't. Some people like slogging through the depths of humanity. It's not really my thing. But again, I respect it. And so at the end of the day, I think he made a really notable, respectable Halloween movie. That feels almost nothing like a Halloween movie. Yeah, it really doesn't. Like, truly, it's just a completely different animal. And for me, you know, I actually didn't really struggle at all with this. It was just like, this is way too good of a movie to be a kill. And it's way too much of a mess to be a Mary. Yeah. And so it was just like, fully grooved down the middle. Fuck. It's like... Yeah, it's it, it, and that's kind of how I feel about it. Where it's just like I, I mean, the the man gets a salute from me, and I'm impressed by his talent, and I don't really want to watch this again anytime soon. Yeah, I'm right there with you. That's a well, that's a good way of putting it. That it's too interesting to be a full kill, too much of a mess to be a Mary. All right, there you have it, guys. Those are our thoughts on the two Rob Zombie Halloween movies. Next week we'll be back with just one movie. Uh, <laughs> And that is the David Gordon Green remake of Halloween. Halloween 2018, as it is frequently referred to. It's actually not a remake, I'm sorry. Yeah. A sequel it is to a, the first Halloween. A direct sequel to 78's Halloween. Um, and, you know. And then we're building towards Halloween Kills. Brand new. Coming out this Friday yeah. uh, on the 15th. So, you know, see it in theaters or watch it on Paramount+. Plus, um, and check in with our coverage on that i'm excited to see it probably will be my first movie th theater experience since the start of the pandemic so that's, that's noteworthy. pretty exciting yeah um you can follow us on our socials it's at killstreakpod on instagram and twitter we're on facebook um and then write us an email at killstreakpod killstreakpod at gmail.com leave us a voicemail 
We love voicemails. We do. We haven't had a good one in a while. Follow the directions in the show notes. We've had some shitty ones, but we deleted them. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Ryan Martin. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I've been digging around here. I'm trying to figure out if you can stream Halloween 2018 with a subscription to anything. I think it's on Paramount+. Plus. Is it? But I might be wrong. I don't know. It's not showing up on my Letterboxd as such. Yeah, also, hey, follow me on Letterboxd if you want. I uh, rate movies uh, every time I watch them. Uh, and don't worry, there's no spoilers for the podcast, because I won't release any of those ratings until after we finish a series. But I'm Prike Mice on Letterboxd, and maybe one of these days we'll get a kill streak Letterboxd account going. Yeah, I'm on there as well. Um, I can't remember what my name is. It's probably Eric Goslin. I think it's probably just Eric Goslin. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't really write reviews. I just kind of, yeah, it's Eric Goslin, uh, all one. I'll just keep track of what I've been watching and give them star ratings. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, anyways, uh, it looks like maybe Halloween's not streaming anywhere, but that's all right. You know, pay for movies. It's not the end of the world. You got the last four for an AMC Plus free trial. If you're I smart. didn't. Yeah, well, like I said, if you're smart. If you're smart. And as always, trick or treat, baby. <laughs> <laughs>